And welcome to another session of our Corona Committee. It's madness. It's the 17th meeting. We started with the idea last year. Right now, you remember when we spoke on the phone, and now we are in session 70. Although we thought we would uh, only take four to six weeks to cover it all, and we are still not yet done. It's incredible. And behind the scenes, we are working at full force and we see that lots of things, lots of ends are meeting up everywhere. Things are coming up, popping up. And on Monday, there's going to be an important activity which we will detail on. I think that is going to cause a stir as well. And in these past 12, 13 months, a lot has happened, a lot of negative things too. I just got an um, uh, up-to-date note, uh, body count, as what it's called. It's about the um, side effects of vaccinations that occurred here in Europe after vaccinations. We informed you previously that in the US, According to a conservative estimate based on official figures, about 500,000 people died after vaccinations. And we will speak to um, the Goodman um, family. Um, their son died uh, 12 hours after vaccination. Um, and there's causality confirmed because they have a death uh, uh, warrant now the certificate that states this uh, so we have 23,000 people injured 1 million um, and 200 uh, some, uh, severely uh, injured so 23,000 uh, people who died that's only 27 of 50 European countries that are captured in this database and the um, number of um, people who, who aren't captured is somewhere between 99, um, 90 to 99%. So everything is done to avoid um, news here. And I think there's something else that I have that we should read out. Well, the news that are suppressed here, well, I'll, no, I, I won't talk about it. I have to verify it first, but it looks like Physicians are either pressurized massively not to report or um, say uh, by themselves, well, if I'm to report all this, I'll never get my job done. So 23,255 dead people after vaccinations in Europe until the 28th of August 2021. That happened under our watch, as it were. We try to do our best uh, to stop this. And that is why we're continuing with the session now. Well, and all the vaccines, I think in Germany, in 16 years over Germany, or 12 years at least, over 10 for sure, 465 people are registered in that same database as uh, people who died from vaccinations from all different kinds of uh, diseases. And so that is uh, quite a difference. That's not trifling anymore. You couldn't call this trifling anymore unless you have ulterior motives uh, other than um, public health. And that is what we've been suspecting for a number of months now. So let's get started now. Okay. 
We first have Rebecca Leist, uh, who is a um, specialist physician, uh, physician specializing in uh, gynecology and midwifery. And she has um, a fear um, that she, after COVID vaccinations, um, an extraordinary number of pregnancies are cut short. Did I say that correctly? Well, welcome. First of all, it's an honor to me to be able to speak here and uh, great respect. And uh, yes, Mr. Fimich, you introduced me perfectly right. Maybe I can start by introducing myself as a person. I'm a gynecologist. I've been worked seven years in a child center in Munich. I am well in this, but I've never become a reproduction uh, doctor, so I never got this additional expertise because in parallel I intensively worked with Chinese medicine and I found that this is a way to think and to uh, do therapies which is uh, very much corresponding to me. So I treated my patients with this in 2004. I s went to a small private practice in Munich and since then I am doing this. The older I become, I start working this micro nutrition's hormones, all of this, which is uh, playing a more um, important role in this pandemic because nobody talks about uh, us having enough uh, vitamin D, for example, we would have enough um, and less, less problems. So in my problem, uh, I have talked to all my patients that uh, this is problematic, the vaccination could be problematic. We don't know the effects on reproduction. Of course, I know what Dr. Woodhoff has told us. I know that truth and would you, but I couldn't go up against it. Most of them got vaccinated. Um, I've seen some considerable side effects, uh, many of them, although with no side effects. And then about five weeks, I woke a while, I woke at night and it noticed if my patients become pregnant, they don't stay pregnant when they are uh, vaccinated. Of course, I thought this may be the case, but I didn't think to see that in my small practice. So that was five weeks ago. And then I started to review all my documentation over the past year, creating an Excel file, who wants child, children, who uh, had what treatment at what time and who got vaccinated. And that took me to a non-representative number of cases, of course, but it was scaring. Uh, at the same time, I created a little video and I want to report the data here. So. Um, out of three who uh, got uh, pregnant, one of them were hit uh, and she's in the 10th week. I wish her all the best. Out of 15 um, um, uh, reproductive uh, patients, I didn't get any uh, response. I don't think they are pregnant. 19 was early, one uh, loss and now one 13th week. So, from 15, one uh, who is in the 15th week. And we don't know where this goes, how long that will be. And uh, when I looked at this, I thought this is disastrous. And then I 
thought I'd write a letter to the seven big child-bearing um, uh, child uh, hospitals. They can do the statistics at a bigger scale than I can do. And one thing is just to call out, say, caution, something is going on. And the second is that we've got the big centers who can do the statistics and the statistic is being done for decades. So we have the data. We've got all the material that we need to compare with. And my wish would be to see who did they uh, treat the last uh, six months and uh, then we could check out um, when were you vaccinated the first time, the second, uh, uh, and, and all the treatments, um, that's in the, uh, and then we would have a, a control group, which is what we don't have at the moment. And uh, that's, of course, one problem is that we don't have the proper reporting, but then we also don't have a control group. So I can, I contact them asking them to ask and to do the uh, reports. I worked in one of them, um, but they should all know me. And uh, only one, not the one I worked in, uh, came back with a report and said, yes, they would uh, do and look at the statistics. May I just interrupt you and ask, uh, what's this ratio normally? You uh, looked at 15 patients. Now I know from many, well, I, I have some friends who were affected by this kind of topic and uh, the success rate, depending on the age that uh, people have or what physical preconditions they have, then uh, these activities to uh, achieve a pregnancy are relatively have a low success rate. Um, and of course, the abortion rate is not zero. I don't know what it is, normally 20% or whatever. What could you tell us on that so we have a better comparison? Of course, yes. Thank you for that question. Of course, you can differentiate this a lot. Uh, how many embryos were in inserted? Was it assisted with sperma? Was it an out of cycle? And what were the age? But if you just take the big number, without these details, the access rate, uh, the success rate is about 32% of assisted reproduction and the birth rate is about 23% and the difference is in the first four, 13, 14 weeks um, where we have early child losses. That's the normal figure and if I look at my non-representative figure of 15 patients, one that is 7%. So again, this is not representative, it's only my own observation, but I think it is a massive caution, a real red flag here um, to ask and ask the people to check their numbers, to ask the institutions to check the numbers and uh, if I look at Germany, Germany has about about uh, 140 of reproduction centers. They do a central statistics. They report to a central statistics. The German register 
and the figures are registered there for decades. But of course, each center does it for themselves. So it'd be easy for them to look it up. If we do the cutoff point, for example, who did assisted reproduction in the first six months of this year, by end of July, and then you just call them all up. And then by we're in the end of September, we have covered the first three months of pregnancy, which are the most critical ones. And then we've got facts. So that is a read-through perspective study, but we've got figures and we need the figures now. Now the things can go wrong. And we thought in Germany, we have about 110,000 assisted reproductions. In Europe, about 900,000. So how many is it worldwide? So this is something that could be done worldwide at the same time. This is why I approached you, because you have a, you have such a wonderful portal and such a great range. So for this not to be done in Munich a couple, but all over Germany, all over the world, and we would immediately have figures and could derive at conferences. And that would then be the um, responsibility of the uh, Pharmacological Alliance to initiate that. We know that the uh, federal government agrees, which is which always agrees with a telescopic um, procedure. So they want to uh, perform uh, the um, ex examinations for efficacy at the same time, if at all possible. So we have to expect that uh, the influence on the pregnancies by these injections is being monitored in the meantime. Is that known? I haven't heard of any uh, special observations performed, for instance, by the Paul Ehrlich Institute. That would be a, a special question I have. Uh, the Pauli, um, we, maybe we might approach Paul Ehrlich Institute whether such observations, such monitoring is performed if they have this on a... a on the radar or if this has been pushed well, aside? I haven't heard anything about the Paul Ehrlich Institute doing anything. Of course, I know the safety reports and on advice of this colleague in Munich who told me he'll check it. I went to the DLL, the German Institute, and the chair gave me again negative response uh, saying it's too complicated to do this now. And we um, uh, know about the negative effects of COVID and uh, the safety of the vaccination is known and they don't plan to do this and they are actually responsible for the safety of the proceedings. It is um, said again and again that an infection with SARS-CoV-2, i.e. with coronaviruses, is much worse than what the spikes could do that are um, generated in our bodies after a, a vaccination. Now, um, such a uh, spread of coronaviruses, of spikes uh, throughout the body uh, on the basis of a, uh, an infection is really extremely rare. Now, the injection whereby we don't absorb uh, these corona elements uh, through our mouth and nose, but directly in, um, in our body is much more um, dangerous and then this may, of course, uh, lead to an infection of or organs that are important for reproduction. And I think, as there are no animal studies that were published, with the exception of the uh, Japanese 
a study that showed that the ovaries actually accumulate the nanoparticles. And then I think it would be very important and urgent to do this because young people who are now obliged to get a vaccination also will want to have children at some stage. And so we need a clear statement before we can uh, perform um, mass vaccinations or even oblige people to um, accept vaccination. This is why I hope that many fertility clinics will do this and then we would immediately have figures. And of course, you have to publish them in some way because that is going to be censored as well, I expect. So, the figures from the US that we have uh, would uh, match this, indicating that pregnant women who received the vaccination so women who got the vaccination in the first uh, three months of the uh, pregnancy uh, abort their children, uh, that 35 or 35% of them abort their children. I think what's normal, that's what we need uh, to know. What's uh, normal in normal pregnancies? I think it's 30%. Well, maybe I can add to that. I have mentioned that study in my uh, video and I've referred to it on the book. I think it's Mr. Shimbaturo from the CDC preliminary findings of something, I don't know, and they uh, claim it is not a risk for the pregnancy, but they miscalculated. Uh, they took about 40,000 pregnancies that were vaccinated, voluntarily registered, and then they checked and that went on from December to end of February this year how the pregnancies devolved. So that's a two and a half month period. And then they um, started, they said they could evaluate it. And that's of course uh, stupid. Uh, there's no relative, uh, no reference. And uh, pregnancy is um, nine months. Um, there were quite a few. And here they say, that in the first 20 weeks, they say so in the many uh, aborts were there and you could um, calculate that to the completed and that would be a 13% um, loss rate. Loss rate, if you look at that table in more detail, which I did and I published that on my homepage on the blog, there in the small print they say that out of these uh, 28,000 cases, it, um, um, they were in the last seven months. And so that is kind of a fraud as well, because it's not the first 20 weeks. They combined the wrong figures. And these 82% that were on the internet, that was uh, just the, the flip around of that week. So they checked the uh, abortions or the losses, but in the first uh, 20 weeks, and uh, then they swapped that around and uh, said that's successful. And I said, I pointed out this is not done correctly. A colleague from Amwerp um, um, put this in the New Journal of Medical, putting a note saying, look, this is not the right way to work with the figures. And the authors answered, uh, admitting it's right. You can't do it that way. But they didn't retract this, the study. When will the pregnancy test be positive in your experience? When the placenta um, forms or when? 
So in the fertility center where I worked, we took the blood, blood test at the earliest possible point in time. We took out the ovas, which is the punction uh, corresponding uh, just before the uh, egg is mature and 11 days afterwards we tested the blood we did the blood test and that was the earliest point in time where this is possible and then we did another test three days uh, later and then 14 days after the ovation um, that was the case so um, when will it be positive then in Okay. The quota of the people after the in the first three months uh, having a board after in the first three months um, is that normally thirty percent, and that's the case. And uh, normally you'd have to expect something to go wrong in the first uh, well, the figures three months. vary widely between 12 and 26 percent. But what's important here is that every EBF center creates its own statistics. They know exactly how pregnancies continue after which treatment. So we have a control group here. So that would be the ideal thing to simply look or try to get uh, hard figures. I wanted to point out that we have figures from the US, amongst others, we've talked to a pathologist, Dr. Roger Hodgkinson from Canada, and what he said is confirmed by uh, Ryan Cole from Idaho, and that is again uh, confirmed by Charles Hoffey from Canada, and they all say, quite simply, generally say, the nanoparticles, including the spike proteins, collect everywhere, including in the ovaries, and that leads to a risk in reproduction. So, if that were right, you say maximum 12 to 26 percent in the range of the first uh, three months. So, if that would be right, that after vaccination, within these first three months, there is 85 percent aborts, I would say that is a significant figure, isn't it? Well, every individual percentage point that a, uh, an individual EVF center has is a deviation already. It always deviates a bit, but they know their uh, figures, their deviations, their fluctuations. They have kept these statistics for decades, so they can immediately see when figures go up. Uh, they uh, will notice that because the so-called baby-take-home baby take rate will decrease and more aborts will occur. But this would be uh, visible overall, but you don't make a distinction then uh, between vaccinated and non-vaccinated patients. Well, we are in a completely absurd level of discussion, really. If we see the figures that we've just said are the official figures, actually, uh, that after Eurovigilance, the body count, as they say, uh, the number of deaths after vaccination was 23,255, uh, 52 after the, uh, uh, on the 23rd. And we have to expect a hidden figure of 90 to 99 percent. Um, then that's uh, that's something, as Viviana said, that's uh, 
we seeing rationally if this is a risk or not it's obvious after all the reports that we get from all over the world it is uh, hazardous and Mongolia, Mongolia tells us that prior to the vaccination there were no cases no cases and after the start of the vaccinations the so-called COVID uh, starts and the spike protein is then directly injected and that apparently leads to the sickness which is massively rising in Israel we heard that uh, 85 uh, 86 85 86 of the people in hospital with COVID symptoms not only positive tested have taken two vaccinations I expect we are talking still on this apparently rational level because we don't get any support from the courts but I think it's more than obvious that we have a catastrophe problem at the moment and this is mainly caused by medical staff and mainly by medical staff who try to now cover the disaster up I don't want to uh, um, be positive about the um, legal system now they will probably only act when their own children start to die but we are on an absurd level of discussion if we look at the face of the danger we are in well it is absurd that pregnant women are uh, in uh, vaccinated at all the uh, society for um uh, pregnant uh, for uh, gynecology and abstinence um recommend this and we've seen that um the fetuses and animals have died and um it's a discussion that we have to have because this is happening with every patient that we can stop from being vaccinated before or during um, the um, pregnancy is a victory. Well, do you see if people get vaccinated at a different point in time during pregnancy who are in in your um, who are treated by you, do you see the difference or do you see different when the children are born? Is there any changes? Well, I have to say I'm no longer a practicing gynecologist. I only uh, practice Chinese medicine and I keep treating pregnant women, but uh, they were only they only only started to uh, vaccinate them in May or June. Before that, we had the elderly, so we don't know what happens in uh, with pregnancies in Germany. It's different in the US and Israel. So if the uh, Centers for uh, People Desiring Children um, starts monitoring now, then we will know something because three months have passed. I think you also got to consider that um, going to a fertility center is a selection that takes place. Um, if we look at the epidemiology for it, it's a strong selection because usually it's couples who have been trying to uh, have a child and it didn't work for quite a while. So the many, many people who want to get pregnant and do it normally, uh, then there is no observation at all. The women only go to see a gynecologist when the test is positive just to do uh, the monitoring or to ask questions and so on and as far as i know there is an australian study that uh, looked at those women who um, came to the to see the doctor after six weeks in normal pregnancy 
So not assisted uh, reproduction, but normal, uh, natural uh, pregnancy. And then they were observed over weeks uh, that were to come. And then it was found out that over the first time, there was a higher, a considerably higher risk, a 10%. And that after the 12th week of pregnancy, um, it dropped below 1% or was dropped, had dropped bef uh, below 1%. So the first weeks, whether a pregnancy is successful or not, and um, whether uh, the uh, embryo starts to, to grow, <clears throat> that is exactly the risk. And that's the risk, the time that is not uh, under observation. And that is where we expect or did expect that uh, something is done by the mRNA and the particles that are injected by the vaccination. So this is not observed. So that means if we think of sterility after the vaccination, we have to start uh, with a completely different approach statistically, which is difficult to make. But we don't even have the animal experiments where this was done. So uh, this question uh, whether the Uchitin uh, uh, creates antibodies because there is similarities in the structures with the spike protein or not. And the second question is the enrichment of nanoparticles in the ovaries uh, that starts to start uh, to initiate inflammations and permanent infertility. That These are things that are unclarified and not clarified by um, animal uh, experiments. And um, that could lead, if we did that, that could lead to even more disastrous results. And I don't think these studies have been asked for or whatever. So that was my idea. Let me say it again. Uh, we have control groups in these uh, uh, IVF centers, and we've had uh, statistics for a long, long time, so we could actually give facts very quickly. As you just said, Mr. Volgat, how do you want to prove that uh, damage occurred if somebody doesn't become pregnant? It's difficult, of course. You can only do that looking at the birth rate in the population as a whole, which changes. In times of war, there are other birth rates than in times of peace. Obviously, so the way people lead their daily lives depends on whether they want to have children or not at that time. And there is lots of factors that play a role here to, and that makes it difficult to find a, um, to, to, to see that at short notice. Historically, it's going to be obvious and apparent, but that will be too late. But if your figures turn out to be right at the end of the day, Uh, Ms. Leist, then we will have a 32% success rate uh, with the um, um, it, artificial fertilization. At, at, at the end of the day, it, uh, it's successful at, with 23%. But in your observation, it was only 7%. That is really more than significant because there are seven such centers in Munich. If they can confirm this, then this really should be a dramatic alarm signal, and you're right, if you have such a small group of, uh, uh, of um, people who can immediately provide figures, then that should lead 
to a situation where these uh, gene therapy, uh, therapy experiments are immediately discontinued. Uh, I'm not saying that this is uh, uh, nonsensical, but it's uh, absurd to see that these uh, vaccinations lead to heavy um, damage, to severe damage, and we're discussing whether it could be dangerous. This is already established. It is already and um, a uh, proof conclusive that this is dangerous. And that is why I sent my urgent application to the fertility centers in Munich and asking them to contradict me, to prove the opposite. I don't want to see this fact proven. Uh, if we just consider the consequences it'll have, it is unimaginable. And this is why I try to approach them in a very positive way, asking them to prove me wrong. A state government who has responsibility uh, for many aspects of medicine and who will be responsible for uh, requiring people to get vaccinated could order these data to be made available. So the state government has a huge responsibility. It could order those IVF centers to provide the data. But it definitely won't do so. I'm just saying to make it clear uh, who's responsible for this, how politicians are responsible for this. Well, let me just observe here, Mr. Niels Wiener, are you with us? Mr. Wiener, we can't hear you. Well, we can't. So, um, health is a state, is a state's uh, prerogative, and Wolfgang, you're completely right. You could uh, simply um, so, uh, resurrect the uh, state governors who have been um, fall, have fallen under the tutelage of Ms. Merkel. They could be resurrected, really held responsible. I would like to ask Mr. Wiener because Mr. Wiener has proposed a very interesting non-confrontative intervention model with which he could actually do take some steps with the ministries on the schooling area, the education area, and uh, we'll come to that in a minute. What he does, he'll explain to us. Uh, there's lots of phone calls going on that had positive uh, effects. So this would be something where concerned possible mothers, uh, women who want to come, become pregnant could call uh, the health authorities and check and ask if there is any findings, if um, they decide or thinking of going to a fertility center or whatever, and uh, people could call in masses and create pressure on that way so that these figures are made available. Mr. Wiener, maybe we can come to you we could come back to Ms. Lice later on if there's more. May I add to this very briefly? Maybe you know whether the public health insurance uh, have data on uh, in vitro fertilization, or is it all paid privately? No, the legal regulation is that a woman under 40 uh, with uh, has three has um, allowed three percent, three tries of uh, assisted reproduction, and she gets a fifty percent payment. So the public health insurances, who uh, of those insured have uh, 
uh, tried and who has uh, become pregnant, pregnant, right? So that they should have the data. Yes, it's an excellent idea, and they should be interested in checking on this as well. So the data center of, um, of the AOK uh, Health Insurance, Vido, um, they all have the data centers. So if I were the representative of a health insurance company, so um, the administrative bodies of the health insurance companies, they represent uh, the insured, um, they represent the um, trade unions, and they could ensure that they um, call on the scientific centers to collect this data. Very good idea, excellent, yes. Well, we contact them, Viviana. Well, we'll, we'll uh, request uh, information there. If they, they, they may, of course, easily say we don't have any figures, but um, Mr. Vena, what kind of uh, non-confrontative confrontative, uh, intervention are you suggesting? Yes, first of all, thank you for having me. I'd like to take the opportunity to uh, talk to the parents and everybody involved in schooling, kindergarten and so on. I'd like to take them to a little journey which we have embarked on uh, since, since for three, three weeks ago and it started all with a courageous school director in the last week of the holidays school holidays um, informed us that this uh, vaccination activity is going to start immediately after restarting of the school and when we got that i was shattered i was furious and sad and I felt powerless, especially when I looked at the leaflet that the children were going to get in Saxony, to be concrete. If you want to, I could show it briefly. If I were allowed to share my screen, I have got this here. May I um, leave you because we're really on holidays and I well, thank you very much uh, for um, having the chance to speak here, and I'll look at it later. Thank you, Ms. Lice, and enjoy your holiday. Okay, thank you. Goodbye. So you should be able to see it now. This is the side effects that are listed. So fever, uh, headache, and this is what the directors of the school were going to give to the pupils on the first day of the school it starts like this the superwoman here uh, fighting the corona with the vaccination and then the question is is it worth it for me what side effects can occur and what is the rumors so roll up your sleeves this was done by the social ministry and it says what is important to me here is, uh, uh, we have a source here, uh, the uh, allowance study for, for 12 to 15 year olds. Uh, what, what research is that? That confuses me. Of course, I'm not a medical person. 
Uh, but what is quite clear here, is it recommended for me? And this repeat said, yes, if you're 12, it is recommended. We don't need to discuss this. Um, here in this red box, it says who decides whether you will be vaccinated or not. And it says if you don't want to, you don't have to. Um, we, when your parents are, with your parents' consent, you can be vaccinated if you're over 12. And the last thing is important, individually it's possible without your parents consenting. And uh, for that, you only have to talk to a doctor. And at this point, I said, I told my wife, what are we going to do about this? And first thing, we contact a an advocate for medical law and a doctor who we know, and she asked a law uh, a court expert, a psychologist, who are well more into this topic than we are, and they all confirmed for us with an emergency authority authorization, no child is allowed to decide whether it's going to be vaccinated or not on its own. That is legally out of the way. And I was lucky in that week to, I invited myself uh, to have a citizen's talk with the uh, minister president of Saxony and asked him to review that leafland, which would be distributed to the children on Monday prior to that. And he said, well, you're right. I, I noted what he said. Let me just look it up. Mr. Kretschmer said, well, we have to put things right first. And he said the uh, thesis that a child can be vaccinated against his uh, that uh, the parents will, uh, because it is an emergency uh, use of federation, is right. But we don't have that. We, we, uh, he, he said we have a full author authorization. So, uh, uh, as far as I know, this is not right. And then there is no discussion, really. And with that result, we found that the minister president, the present minister, is not interested at all to talk on a factual level with us, to talk on the merits, so to say. And I hope that the people watching can see how easy this can be handled. I don't want to put it on the screen, but in Google, we simply typed in we typed in Saxony Social Ministry, Copenhagen Organizational Organigram Organizational Gram Organigram, and the first thing is the SMS search a PDF file. This is, of course, for Germany only, but maybe the international audience can do similar for their own countries. Anybody could look that organizational organizational chart up. Here we see Secretary of State Petra Köpping at the top, and then we have the different levels of the department, press, 
the different specialist areas. So we picked out the numbers and the names and called these people. And the first person we called was in the Ministry of Cultural Affairs, the person who sent this to all Saxony schools, including the letter addressing the directors. And of course, we talked to him about the leaflet because that was the, the opener of the discussion. And he said, well, I only looked at it briefly. I don't know what is the content really. Okay. And the social ministry had sent it to him for further di distribution. He said he's not going to get his child children vaccinated by no means. And well, uh, I'll skip that to 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 keep keep up the communication that we have with them. Um, what he said, uh, I don't want to spoil things here. Apparently, it wasn't negative towards us, it rather to the other side, and you want to protect them a little bit, which I completely understand. But this statement alone, that I'm not going to have my children vaccinated, I didn't see it, uh, the, the leaflet myself, really. That is something we have to know where this is from. Um, who says this rubbish? Uh, either it is another clear crime, if we can find it is intentional, which I assume it is at this point, or we are com we have complete idiots around, or is there anything between? Well, as of today, I can say that there is some intermediate ground, yes. Um, I or we believe, well, maybe I'll get back to that later. Um, what it's about is he just uh, skimmed the brochure, didn't know what it was all about. And I told him, if I get this brochure and hand it to my child, I commit a crime. And then uh, he realized, well, in principle, that's what we told him, you're liable because you pass it on without checking. And he said, okay, it's the social um, uh, security ministry that sent it on to him. So we were encouraged and we called them, the social security ministry, and we immediately got uh, the right uh, person with responsibility for the appropriate uh, desk through this um, org chart there. So I didn't have to go through uh, various loops and hoops. And I said, okay, uh, you um, came up with this brochure and I explained the legal situation um, to her and I uh, told this lady, I'm not giving her name now, but you can find out yourself. They were instructed from the top to do this and according to my org chart, we realized the person on the top can only miss cupping anymore. And what I found, what I found in this discussion is that the desk, even if it sounds um, like a, a big thing, it's not a desk really. Uh, they simply get instructions from the top and assume that this is okay. And they were simply instructed <coughs> very briefly, uh, at very short notice to come up with this brochure, even though they had the whole summer uh, holidays time to uh, compile this. So they compiled it very briefly, 
pass it on uh, to the education ministry and uh, they sent it to the schools. That's probably due to the fact that the social security ministry has no access to the school data. But this lady was uh, very um, interested and um, several people have called her and it has been clearly explained to her, okay, you compiled this brochure and pass it on and this is why you're personally liable. But they were factual and friendly um, phone conversations. And she told me, well, I'll pass this on uh, your concerns on to the desk. You're at the top of my list. She uh, wrote my name um, and phone number on a red sheet of paper, contacted uh, the various um, technical departments and contacted me, uh, called me back. And she also gave me interim results. And at the end of the day, the technical department came to the conclusion that this was uh, illegal. However, at this stage, the uh, brochures were already in the inboxes of the uh, headmasters of all schools across uh, Saxony. So the upshot is that we're not aware of a single school in Saxony where uh, a single uh, student got this brochure to read in a class. What we know about is that a few schools put it up on their website, and we also know that they were sent out directly to, to parents. <clears throat> we simply assume that this is due to the fact, or in the connection with the fact that we intervened. Uh, I wasn't the only one exerting pressure here. Others uh, did the same thing when we found how good communication with the technical departments was, we informed, uh, we created a short um, instruction uh, leaflet um, with uh, phone numbers, instructions on what to say, and asked the parents to call um, the ministry um, in a factual way, in a, a very matter-of-fact way. And what emails were fruitless, but what I found is that if you actually talk to people in person, I mean over the phone, uh, and explain their legal uh, situation, we really um, had assumed that they knew their legal status, but we found that that wasn't the case. Well, Mr. Wiener, how should they be uh, aware of the legal situation if they don't even know the content of the leaflet? It's just uh, handed down from the top. Right. So just tell me, you talked to the lady in the social ministry, whatever her competency may be, she'll play a role there, definitely. What did she say? She said it was from the top, but that, that can only be Mrs. Cupping from the top. Who's, who's she then? What's her role? Oh, sorry. Um, that's the health minister in our state, the state minister for health. Here's the um, org chart again. So I was talking to someone who's right next to her at the same level here. Um, and Ms. Cupping was the one who issued uh, the instruction. Maybe it was a secretary of state, but at the end of the day, it's her responsibility. So I get the uh, feeling um, I get a very strong feeling, by the way, that in the technical departments, uh, people get instructions to do something in, at very short notice, such as compiling this brochure, and that it is um, willfully accepted 
that the instructions that come from the top must be uh, legally right. Mr. Wiener, who gave that instruction? Did it drop from the skies out of the blue air? I'd be interested, really. Well, we assume that it comes from Ms. Cupping. And she didn't make it up herself, did she? It must have come from more up, higher up. And if that was the case, it's apparent that there is similar or the same instruction in the other German states. It's not going to be in Saxony right. alone, is it? Is it from WHO or who is this? That would be the very pinnacle, but I'd say that is from the Federal Ministry of Health. And then again, we're going to hear where uh, this, we didn't have that. So it'd be good to know where this stuff comes from. It's apparently criminal. So there is this advertising for uh, a vaccination under uh, emergency use approval. And uh, this is saying, telling right. the children they can do it without the children. This is absurd. The trace doesn't end with Miss Cupping, Miss Cupping or... Her, her her department or whoever speaks for her has to be able to say where this is from. Or did she uh, sit down and do it herself? Probably not, did she? No, well, I think it must be um, the responsibility of the technical department to compile this um, brochure. Well, Mr. Rena, we know this is a lockstep approach. That means globally, globally and in simultaneously the same activities are going on faster in some countries, slower in others. So, if we see what you have followed up, it's excellent. This is really the detective work, but the trace doesn't lead to Ms. Köpping. It doesn't lead to the Federal Ministry of Health and not to Jens Spahn, but somebody told Jens Spahn what to do. Mr. Schwab, Bill Gates, whoever. So, if you can do more research. We all have to try to find out what is going on, although we uh, have a good guess, which is the Great Reset. That's going on. And then it can't be the case that Miss Cupping is the top of the line, saying, oh, I lay in my bed at night and draw the pictures. Um, uh, it was Mr. Spahn, and if we ask Mr. Spahn if he can answer at all, he would say, I think I got it from Mr. Schwab or Bill Gates or whoever. But it's absolutely nonsense to think that by now, uh, this lockstep approach, which is obvious everywhere, she's the end of the trace. Right, well, our, I see our task. <coughs> How can I put it? For me, it becomes clear here I don't care at all whether Ms. Cupping got an instruction herself, maybe for, in legal terms that might be important at some stage. But what I feel uh, is important is that uh, we reach the people right underneath this, the people in the technical departments, because my impression and the impression of many parents who called them was that there are people there who really think about what they're doing there. What what am I doing here right now? And they can only get the feedback from us, from the parents. And as long as we only get the smallest results, it's absolutely crucial from my uh, point of view uh, that we uh, stay in touch with them. So I see that a bit of like a pyramid. At the very top, there's Mr. Kretschmer as our uh, Governor, Minister, President. So I want to uh, focus on the different 
um, individual stones that you can pull out of this pyramid. Instead of writing mails uh, saying you murderer or whatever uh, to people who aren't um, interested at all. That's what I found uh, when I dis was discussing with Mr. Kretschmer. He doesn't care at all whether those vaccines are uh, authorized or not. Um, so they the point is that the people have to answer and say, uh, and, yes, and we have to rework the brochure, or they have to lie and say it's... Um, well, that was not a criticism for you. I think it's excellent what you're doing, and we completely agree. Right from the start, we were convinced that the personal approach is what's going to do things. There needs to be personal talk. Sending email doesn't make sense, and putting skins and bowls and calling the murderers doesn't make sense. But if you speak to them normally with rational arguments, trying to approach the people and then find out, and some you don't approach, you can't, they're not open, and then you find out it's perfect, it's right, absolutely right what you did, you have children, you said so, you said I wouldn't get my children vaccinated, they have children as well, and that's why I think it's absolutely right, my idea is just to take a further step of course, we can only get to the uh, people behind it in the course of the investigation that is going on everywhere. So it's important to start at what we see now, the person that we have access to. But it's interesting to see that the trace ends at the top, but the top is not the top. There's more behind it. That's right. Now, what can we do for those people who are in these positions, who are in the uh, government departments, in the ministries who don't want to have their own children vaccinated and who realize now all of a sudden that they're supposed to distribute something and to implement something, to execute something that is not legal. They really would have to say, I'm not going to do this. They would have to take to the streets and say, no, this, sorry, but this is not legal. I, as a civil servant, am not allowed to do this. So what can we do? to um, help those people who want to defend their honor as civil servants, who want to do their duty. How can we protect them from such illegal instructions? Is that uh, a question of disciplinary action or is it labor law or how can we help them? I'm a, a retired uh, civil servant, but I have to say uh, at the time I, um, I was um, subjected to a dis disciplinary action uh, because I didn't execute certain things that I was instructed to do and I won the cases um, and it's difficult to say um, uh, what difficulties um, uh, are you faced with if you want to show backbone well we've seen that in the example of uh, Stefan Kuhn who has uh, written that uh, famous paper which has not been attacked in the content wise at all in no way so he has disciplinary measures but that uh, tears apart so the person that um, um, Mr. Vena just talked to saying that he's not going to have his children vaccinated how can he be responsible for not well, vaccinate, for vaccinating um, the others there's human resources councils um, so um, staff representatives in those authorities and they can um, then ask, is that the only person who has a problem or are there others? And that would 
turn the table maybe if it's not a single um, civil servant who is prosecuted but if the civil servants as a body say there's something an instruction from the ministry that we cannot execute you said in the preliminary talk that there was a little survey after that shitstorm or the friendly cause really um, where the parents said you can't do that with that leaflet and found that difficult and other points and there was a little survey that the ministry did and on that basis they changed their position i think it's a very interesting approach not to really get the individual civil servant to really open the big bottle and remonstrate but that to give them the opportunity say to go to their to their seniors saying look i get bombarded with uh, calls there seems to be issues um uh, here could we find a different way to look at it from a legal way and so on and uh, by that um we create facts that would create facts i think that could be an approach at this moment where like it is for judges um to decide something in a small pie way um and that uh, they don't have to decide on the merits at first maybe that's interesting at the moment let me correct myself um this is not the end of the story in saxony an avalanche got started when uh, the parents um realized that this is actually bearing fruit um in those in those um, platforms that have been created so uh, the survey was started by the uh, parents council of the states um, up until three weeks ago it was completely um, in line with the government's uh, line and we got the impression that uh, the vaccination campaign in the schools crossed the red line for them because those were the three points social ministry get into contact with them, uh, get into contact with the uh, State Parents' Council, and to get into contact with the schools. That I'll say something interesting about this now. So we contacted the uh, State Parents' Council. Their phone number was, their line was busy uh, all the way through to Friday afternoon before uh, school started. And on Saturday morning, and that is more than amazing they issued a press release uh, the um, state parents council and i have it here and the uh, state parents council is also headquartered in dresden and it's the um, interface between the education ministry and the parents and they write their press release of the 4th of september 21 it says schools have a uh, are tasked with education not with vaccination after the last three um, semesters uh, were characterized by uh, homeschooling rather than presence uh, schooling uh, this uh, school year uh, must have as its top priority to keep the schools open we have to make sure that this is uh, done in the right way however a large part of parents is afraid that the voluntary vaccinations um, uh, that should happen at home will be relocated to uh, schools. We um, 
believe that uh, children and young people will uh, fall under pressure and will be influenced by their peers. This is why the um, State Parent Council requires that this offer of voluntary vaccinations be retracted. So that was uh, an interesting statement. And more than 60,000 or 80,000 people, uh, parents, participated in the survey and 65,000 parents came out against those vaccinations in schools. And uh, we believe they simply crossed a red line with the masks. There's a lot of room for discussion there, but I do believe and I feel that they're understanding where we're headed here. And in what uh, breakneck speed uh, these things are happening, and they're not willing to stand over it anymore. And they do have to represent uh, the parents' voices. And they said clearly, we don't want uh, school so vaccinations. In, in the survey, 80,000 participants and 65,000 uh, said no. That's a very, very clear vote. Absolutely. Of course, the mainstream media don't tell us, but uh, it's great that we can hear about that here. Do you spread these figures? Do so. Yeah, do yeah, so. absolutely. It's very important. It's very important. And we started an initiative uh, called Keep Your Hands Off Our Children, where we ask parents uh, to, to provoke their thinking about this. Are you sure that this is beneficial? And then we give them the figures, the difference between relative and absolute protective uh, force which uh, is it's well known that the absolute protection is that you have to um, vaccinate more than a hundred children and expose them to uh, the risk to just uh, prevent a single positive pcr test with symptoms so the potential uh, benefit is minimal and the risk is huge but this information is not passed on. They all, the ministries, all speak about high benefit, high efficiency. That is a lie. It's not true. It's under 1% who actually were protected. The clinical studies that have been published uh, that were uh, the basis for this emergency authorization. Uh, authorization. So uh, they're lying to the parents here. And I think that is appalling. They convince the children, they um, promise them sausages and whatever, and, and vouchers from McDonald's and whatnot. And this is ch like child abuse, That what's happening here. So the, the good uncle comes along with bonbons and um, seduces the children. And if you take uh, responsibility out of the hands of the parents and when uh, the state says you can uh, go along with those uncles and uh, you don't need to worry about your parents uh, that we can't let this happen absolutely right in the face of the fact that children statistically have no risk at all there's no 
sensible reason apart from the PCR tests not being to show infections and there's alternative treatments, they have zero risk. Why should they be exposed to that gigantic risk? Just to repeat that figure of 23,252 deaths after the vaccination in Europe and that's only the top of the iceberg. There's no reasons whatsoever to do this and this is why it's so important that you, Mr. Wiener, start these things like you did and uh, take these letters and we it's a very very good success a great success with that letter you've just shown us that the biggest number the great majority of the parents really see the game that's being played and don't consent to that what this organized child abuse as we can call it we have to organize we can't allow individual parents to uh, fight. We have to help them organize and so they can, they're empowered to say no together against this and to ask questions. Where was the uh, parents' assembly where child uh, um, physicians um, explained the uh, rationale behind this? So there is no physician who will answer critical questions. They're simply instructed. And if you don't t uh, go along, uh, your life is made um, uneasy. It's not something that only happens in schools. It's the same in the hospitals where people should know more about it, where nurses uh, or in the nursing homes where nurses are quarantined and if they are not vaccinated, they're sent to uh, qu uh, quarantine. If any PCR test in the institution shows up as positive because they're not vaccinated and then they don't get their pay, that's blackmail. Um, that um, legally, um, that is a disaster. It's coercion. Um, this has nothing to do with uh, with health protection anymore. So the um, representatives of the uh, staff have to say, no, we won't go along with that. If you do this, we go on strike. And the parents can't go along with that anymore. They have to say, we have to have a school assembly. They have to be heard. Otherwise, they just go on. They pick individuals and scare the living daylights out of them. That's the opposite of uh, democracy. We have a right to ask questions, and the authorities who make instructions, who issue instructions, have a, a duty to give us information and not to lie to us. Well, uh, there's no way of talking about consent, by far not in this context. Martin Schwab has pointed this out many of times. If you consent under pressure, whoever it is that asks for it, the employees, the state, whoever, it's not voluntary. So it's all null and void, apart from that all the other information is missing as well. Well, I have to say something on this as well, because uh, Mr. Vodak just said, well, the schools, well, we have a third point in our program. So we got together um, uh, as the organizers and we had a discussion whether we should have demonstrations at schools. And I thought yesterday I saw uh, images again and the media distorts these things and turn them into horrible scenes. And in order to pursue uh, our objective to have good communication in the future, I don't think it's helpful. I'm not uh, opposed at all to anybody I um, hold up a, a poster or write something on, um, in chalk on the floor. Um, but what I saw, um, there was a mainstream press and somebody was shouting murder, murder again. 
uh, that won't help our communication. But what we did is that uh, we agreed to go to the schools in the last days of the um, holidays, uh, in individual uh, individually, uh, trying to talk to headmasters. And the best example I have here is uh, an elderly gentleman from our organization team went to uh, a headmaster's home and he said, um, well, I'm the grandfather of two children. I'd like to talk to you. And when he went in, um, he asked, do I have to wear a mask? And a teacher said, no, no, only starting Monday. But then he said, I came to discuss the vaccination with you. And when he said this, the impression that he got was, that someone from the uh, pharmacological industry, from the pharma industry, who will recommend a specific vaccination, a specific vaccine. Uh, when he mentioned vaccination, they wanted to kick him out of the school, and he said, no, thank you, we don't want to talk about this. And then he explained his purpose, that he is worried about his um, grandchildren, about what was going to happen in the school uh, the week after. And then at that particular school, they said, don't worry, that's the parents um, job and that's not our job at all and it was a school which on their website published just a little bit in a, a very uh, lost corner of their website on this the program that ms cupping had hoped for i would say they hadn't implemented that at all and we have had similar conversations with headmasters who were fully in line with the government there. And even there, they weren't willing to support this vaccination campaign. And yes, it's important that we have the courage to emulate such uh, activities. And that's why I'm here, so that uh, viewers can take the time independently of whether they're in North Westphalia or Saxony or else that they emulate this just to pull out the Jenga stones from the from this um, dark tower to get it uh, to sh uh, to shake so if they get the next uh, brochure then they uh, need to make sure we need to get a, a lawyer um, Lawyers Council's uh, fur. Mr. Winner, it's always the same pattern that we see. They push, they push, and to see how far it gets. And you found the perfect remedy, not shouting out, simply taking the people out of the organizational chart and call them and find out who's responsible and at the same time uh, get their position. I think it's an excellent, outstandingly well uh, way. It's best. There's always better to talk to people than writing. And if you, in personal approach, get resonance even better still, because it's not going to limit to the talk that you've had. It's going to initiate to more talks at home. We can assume that. I think it's perfect, perfect, very, very good. That's the only way we can do it. I have one more piece of information on um, last Friday. The social ministry uh, sent out a mail to all schools saying that testing of uh, parents with these certificates. Many uh, parents made these certificates, got these certificates because they 
said we want to test our children at home because the um, teachers never were trained on it. I want my children to te be tested at home, and that was not allowed. So they sent around an email to uh, disallow this. Um, um, and because we were on a roll here, we started a um, wave of phone calls again. And Wednesday morning, they'd found, oh, there's a lot of uh, counter uh, force, um, a lot of pushback coming here. And on Tuesday, actually, they found that already. And on uh, Wednesday morning, Another mail went out to all schools with an update. Uh, home testing is allowed again. So if you have a, a certificate or have a um, uh, in-company test, I um, see. I know the argument from parents who said, and this is really easy to understand, even for the uh, other um, side. My child, just an example, my child doesn't have to wear a mask because it has an allergy. And she uh, called the school um, and she said, look, I did this uh, course so I can do the test at home and they can do the uh, spittle test um, so you don't have to use the uh, uh, test that the uh, ministry requires. My child uh, gets into the uh, tram in the morning and goes to school. Now, if my child uh, doesn't wear a mask, I want to make sure that it's negative. Because everybody wants to avoid our... Well, uh, everybody wants to have uh, to avoid that we have too many uh, sources of infection in the uh, schools. And then the... Uh, the people at the ministry said they felt that, oh, she's a uh, corona denier. And then, no, they realized, oh, no, she's actually actively thinking about uh, contributing to the protection. That makes sense for the school. It's uh, actually the social ministry uh, realized that, and they uh, spoke to them again. And the social ministry, and I get uh, calls from uh, parents, and they tell me, look uh, what uh, feedback I got today. And uh, she said, look, one father demanded that uh, all children be tested at home because if the child is positive, it's not only it's not positive in school and everybody has to send uh, to quarantine. And so he asked, why can't we do that when the social ministry argued, well, you know, we have a million uh, a tender for uh, uh, tests and we have to use them up. And he said, okay. That's an argument, then just give the children the uh, the tests to take home. And I hope that this will um, pan out, that um, they will understand what basically using their own arguments against them. And the school where his father um, called the school, the next day there was one positive case in his uh, child's class. And you can imagine what uproar there was. Uh, the secretary had no time to um, answer the phone, and that's exactly the point. Let the children be tested at home. So don't send the positive child to school. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Mr. Wiener is great, and it shows once again that here, at least in Germany, the legal system uh, cannot be expected to do anything. We have to get the hands on. We are the cavalry. And what you did is excellent. It's outstanding and hope that many, many parents will copy you. 
I don't want to cut you off, but we have the next guest waiting in the line. Uh, thank you very much so far. All the best of success. I think it's very, very encouraging. You are successful. Great. Wonderful job. Well, thank, thank you very, you very much. much. Thank you for being able to uh, send my message to the parents. I hope I could encourage you. Copy us. Do the same thing. Approach the schools. Approach the people. And let's go for it. Take your phone on. And thank you for having me again. Yes, great. Have a nice weekend. That's a cool thing. Yes. Yes, and it's important also, it can be applied to other areas as well. It's an excellent approach and it's an exit. I think we'll get uh, this rumor that's going on in other cases as well. I think it's the momentum at the moment and uh, maybe before it was more hardened everything and now we see a softening and now that may be, may be the crucial point to open a channel for the people to uh, publish their concerns, getting the pressure from outside. Just another example where somebody has a child who's, child who's really suffering, has rashes all over the face under the fa uh, mask and uh, had to get an appointment with the um, uh, pulmonary uh, specialist and he had to wait for two to three months before he can get uh, this appointment and, um, and his parents said, well, I can't wait uh, for months uh, while my, ch my child is ill. And I said, well, there is a um, an official phys um, medical service for the schools and you can get a uh, an expert's opinion. And now um, he tried to get this uh, official um, expertise, um, expert opinion, and he was fobbed off. And the, the physician said, oh, well, there's only uh, one case in 10,000, and he uh, sent him back to a pulmonary uh, expert. And you can't do that, of course. And the health um, authorities have school uh, physicians. You don't, you shouldn't contact the official uh, physician. Uh, you can contact the school physician and tell them, look, I have a problem. Uh, my child has a problem going into school with the mask because the um, uh, Official physician is not a uh, pediatric. Um, that is only by coincidence it happens here or there, but normally he isn't. So uh, you can take uh, take a look at uh, who's the right uh, contact partner. It need not be the public health officer. And if a, a child uh, develops a problem, then the school can also contact the uh, school uh, physician with the um, uh, consent of the parents, that is a uh, care obligation of the states. We have a obligation to attend school, but also we have a, an obligation on the um, part of the state to care for the, uh, for the uh, pupils, and they can't avoid this. I'd like to make one note. Whoever is interested in trying this, they should start on Monday with full force. Because I also think that in now we can create facts. But there's not going to be a lot of counteraction before the elections here in Germany. Elections are going to be next Sunday uh, in, in a week. Um, they don't want to create a great protest and uh, apart from the individual uh, civil servant who would like to play a role. Um, so I could imagine that 
now there could be a gap that we could slip in if we want to turn things back and show we went well before and now in this week or two three weeks which uh, they test at home then there's no more cases that appeared and the school the school closing was um, stopped and it's going to get more difficult to move away from this on an argument level and I think uh, that builds up a lot of ammunition if it is tried to really screw things up more. Well, now just shy of the elections, uh, we can do a lot, uh, we can achieve a lot, and I think we should really uh, do as Vidyana uh, just suggested, or as you suggested, uh, Wolfgang, uh, many people don't know that there are such special contact persons. We can still expect that all of our tax money doesn't go to the global NGOs and uh, global corporates, that there are still some structures in place that work for us. After all, we should use them because, after all, we paid them. Now, next topic, uh, topic Professor Holger Rico has been waiting online. Holger, maybe it's best for you to introduce yourself. Yes, thank you, and thank you to all the audience, and I'm pleased to have the opportunity to talk my professor in professorship in economics human resource management and company management i consult medium-sized companies and it's very important for me to raise my voice here for the medium-sized company who are the motor the engine of the uh, economy at least in germany and maybe we could start off right away if we talk about medium-sized company we've got the facts and the figures for that if i talk to the students First of all, quite clearly, it's known that the medium-sized companies are the innovators as such. In Germany, 99% of the companies are medium-sized. That's a number. Um, that's an absolute figure. It's more than 3 million medium-sized companies, and they make up about 60% of the jobs and 82% of the trainee jobs. So just to give you the background, the framework that we're looking at here, and the economy as such uh, creates more than half of the added value in this country. That's the intention and that's why I'm happy to be with you today, sharing my views and of course as a family father I have the intention that after my time Germany has a future still and the children who grow up in this, children ha in this country have a future as well. Maybe you can tell us something about the state of small and medium-sized enterprises. You told us uh, what their importance is, but what is the current status of uh, this part of the economy? We heard 99% of all companies are small and medium-sized enterprises, 60% or more of jobs and half of uh, added value is generated by them. So what? is the situation of the uh, small and medium-sized enterprises and how has it changed, not only um, in the context of Corona, there had been um, quite a few things happening previously already. Uh, so I can remember when I was a child, there was an economic miracle in Germany and it was driven largely by those SMEs. What has happened to them? Yes, quite right. And we need to go back in history a bit at the moment, everything focuses on the situation that we have. But if we 
go to the pre-primary situation that we've come from over the past decades. We have a centralization process towards corporations and the uh, medium-sized companies are the innovators. They are the people who bring the power. We have seen a change from these innovators to, let me call it, users. Uh, corporates are often not innovative, but use the things that the medium-sized uh, companies create. And we have other megatrends which also play a role. Uh, digitization is something that we may come to. And uh, so, quite clearly, in my opinion here, there is little protection for the medium-sized companies and very strong. Um, it uh, creates a uh, corporation, corporate economy. And we see that the medium-sized companies are not supported by the political sides, although the political politicians say that they they found how see how important the medium-sized companies are, but they don't take action. And the situation was bad before. It's uh, now in the pandemic. That is only um, enforced. We see more and more taxation. We have the highest taxation rates worldwide in this country. We have a an excessive bureaucracy with high fixed costs based on that. Currently, we have more and more energy costs. The uh, goal is to be climate neutral until 2025, uh, 2050. Uh, CO2 want to have uh, CO2 neutral until 2030. This is uh, um, uh, maybe an approach, but the thing is, is it applicable? Can it be done? How is it pushed through? Is it going to change the way of thinking? Can it be? Is it possible? Or will it kill many and the consumers will pay the price for it? And uh, if we are here looking at this, we have the leaving of the, the closing down of the atomic power plants. I'm not the expert there, but what we can see here in publication is that the uh, base load is not there with renewables. And in Germany, the energy resources are closed down uh, faster than we are building up alternatives. And uh, all around us, uh, we have 400 uh, nuclear plants being built. For example, in Poland, so um, the uh, uh, maybe that's a bit of effectless. Um, coming back to the corporations, they create little jobs. Comparing, they like to buy small, medium-sized companies, exploit the ideas, get the uh, patents, and so. And then often, sometimes they take over the jobs, but uh, then they are reduced to a certain amount. So we have the corporates. And that is something um, that has been applicable for many, many years. They have the benefits that the bureaucratic fixed costs are underproportionately high. They decrease, um, so they have less work proportionally. For them, it's easier to take these hurdles. But on the opposite side, if you look at these, the bureaucratic hurdles are not dependent on the turnover or the size, but it needs um, to see overproportional workload on the small companies and the medium-sized companies bear the tax load. Um, uh, corporates have big tax departments that uh, work globally, that can move, push uh, profits to low uh, tax 
tax uh, countries and so on, and medium-sized companies do not have that, and that's a disadvantage. And one more point that I can raise here is that the problem in the groups of the corporations that we have a control of ownership. So the owners, the shareholders have nothing to say, they have little to say, and that means the um, management is who has the saying um, they lead the stock corporates and they're not entrepreneurs without being um, disres disrespectful here. They are something like administrators rather and so they don't represent the um, ideas and the uh, intent of the owners. So that means liability and control are not in the same hands. So we are gl globalizing the responsibility here. And another tool that we have to address is lobbyism. That is something that the groups, uh, the lobby work on is neutral. It's a neutral instrument on my point of view. It can be done in a fair way, but the experience has shown that the corporates that have a lot of money have an overproportional influence here. And the question is how things work. And I think everybody's heard of that, that of course here, um, they can approach uh, decision makers and due to the lack of innovations that the group corporates have, they uh, create more competitiveness by uh, building up uh, bureaucratic structures. And that can be done, for example, by building up uh, regulations uh, on lobbying work that has to be followed and um, are inevitable and uh, they can't do that then. So this is an, um, a high number of certificates. We have a certificate f uh, um, uh, flood, for example, and that's difficult with high uh, um, costs for small companies, um, higher effect again. So that's the pre-pandemic situation that we've already had. Just a second, Holger, two questions now. If we have this uh, segmentation of responsibility, it's only possible in such large uh, groups of companies as small companies can't handle this. If we have the managers who exert control, but not in uh, the uh, sense of the um, shareholders, but uh, probably only uh, for the benefit of the major shareholders, i.e. those who typically own these groups of companies, and I participated in some uh, shareholder meetings of Deutsche Bank, and I know that it's not different in other shareholder meetings. As a small shareholder, you can be happy to get your sausage and be allowed to a couple of sentences, but it doesn't play a role at all what you say as a small shareholder, because um, usually the major shareholders in the background, so BlackRock and all the others, uh, decide what's going on, right? Absolutely, yes, I can fully agree to that. Of course, is the interest of the investors in the background who are quite clearly have no relationship to a company, to the staff in a company. Um, I'm a professor in human resource management, and that's an important topic for me here. And um, so this is um, the, the facts that have to be corrected and uh, return on investment has to be uh, delivered. And uh, we've seen that, for example, in the discussion on sustainability. Sustainability is no point at all. Quite clearly from the beginning, it's an exit strategy that is developed and followed. And here, as you said, <clears throat> and I'll come back to that in a minute, that uh, 
the 2020 post-pandemic, we have had a push here. Um, we are with Zoom, uh, so digitization, all the digital uh, corporates, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, uh, whatever, Apple, Amazon, um, between 2020, they had 1,400 new settings, uh, a new hiring. So 27,000 new employees in that time. So in 2020, 700 uh, new employees. So we have a big, big shift here. And if we look at these digital corporations and take the big American Wall Street banks and the asset management, uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, all these uh, handle over 15 billion. Uh, that's three times as much as the services rendered in Germany per year. So it's a massive power that they have. And if we see that in any different way, anything else is naive, simply. Um, I'm completely with you. We have interests of the investors that follow these exit strategies. They go in, look at it, take the best part out and have the plan two, three years out to push the company up. Doesn't mean the company will be better off, but that is done by savings. And if we look at the fixed blocks, costs, fixed costs, that is human resources and that is uh, uh, cut down and uh, that is what we see is going on. By contrast, we just heard that the small uh, companies are uh, overtaxed with, um, uh, with bureaucracy. And what about the tax? Who's paying the tax? What about the... Uh, small and medium-sized enterprises on the one hand and the uh, major corporations on the other hand. Can we see any figures there? Yes, quite clearly. Um, if we look at the current figures, we can clearly say, uh, of course they vary a bit, but we can say the tax load is carried by the medium-sized companies. Um, that's always the case um, for the entrepreneurs. The groups, the corporates, of course I said so, have opportunities to shift things. They have the money, they have the capital uh, to get consultation. I, had the, I managed the uh, consulting companies uh, who have a task to do this to uh, remove the profit from Germany as uh, two low tax uh, havens and uh, that creates to schizophrenic situation that some of the big companies that make massive amount of monies don't pay tax in Germany but even get tax refunding um, that is something impossible for a medium-sized company and uh, looking at that uh, we have things like if we as a small company you say it's not attractive here then of course the taxation is something um, by moving away and there's a leaving tax which is extremely high for 50 percent of uh, the value of the company if i move the country abroad and take it out of the um out of the other country so it's david against goliath here and uh, that is something that uh, is running towards a peak why is it important we could say that's free market and it's not free we have to really say that this is here at least for small and medium-sized companies 
it leads to massive problems and with that to all of us because the innovations that we have i'm often in medium-sized companies i work with them they do a lot they do really good stuff they are highly creative i'm i wonder what is technically possible at times but they don't get the uh, foot on the floor and in the digital corporate amazons for example amazon we know big uh, platform the exploitation that we have in the holidays times if you travel booking.com or others we have uh, others um, mm, uh, so here we see this is uh, it's a term platform economics so um, they have uh, blackmailing systems if for example you look at vigaro or, or others booking booking.com as a small hotel um, you uh, you are forced to work on these platforms because you're not found other ways. So there's figures like a billion per year that you see in Google that you're found. And uh, as a small company, you have no chance. And um, as a small, what was, what should be free market uh, forces is limited in many ways that it is very, very critical. Um, let me just add the, the platform economics, uh, which is at the front line at the moment, uh, has much too much power. It's cartel structures that we see. And uh, it's uh, funny that we, nothing has happened so far. We know from the US that in 80, uh, 38 federal states, the power of these at the moment, the social media is trying to be restricted. I think the federal government is something you forget here. Uh, uh, Joe Biden, uh, I think uh, they are in their hands as well. But coming back to the question, could you conc have concrete percentage figures who uh, pays taxes to what extent if we have the small and medium-sized companies at one side and the corporates at the others are there figures saying that one pays the major tax load uh, whatever it may be let me guess 80 percent and the others 20 or is it worse it's uh, worse even uh, we have to see that it's really really much worse i just gave the example that there are uh, well-known examples that have been uh, discussed in, on TV and many talk shows where groups of corporates get uh, tax refunds who make millions of profits, uh, but the strategy is quite simple. Um, you have a, a low tax oasis some, uh, some place, and so you have uh, some uh, small company there that makes a license available to you, and that license costs as much per year as you um, made in profit and then this profit goes from one country to the other and politicians are called on here and that's where they have to do something but they don't do consistently uh, and we uh, um, need to see why that is the case and um, we have a uh, bleeding of our um, economic engine as that we just have now and i know a lot of smes who say that if we have this even increasing energy cost due to the energy turnaround, uh, we have supply chain bottlenecks. That's very uh, difficult for many companies as well. If all of this comes to a head, then more and more SMEs say, is that really the country or this? Is that the economic uh, location where I want to 
the work globalization means that I uh, move anywhere. There are uh, tools to control things, but of course, uh, this is not um, the best approach, so maybe I try to uh, convince uh, people by exerting press, uh, pressure. Uh, that is not a free decision. Um, entrepreneurs may relocate that way, of course. Let's look at the current situation and the perspective of Corona. I think last time we met, we had some I think typical representatives of small and medium-sized company. We had Mr. Hübner with his Hübner Group, uh, 1,000 employees, Mr. Orloff from Leguano, 500 employees, and some smaller companies, 20, 50 or so. All of them said, on one hand, we had considerable drops, but it was compensated. We had a foundry with Axel Turk, GmbH, uh, Axel Turk, the managing director, was with us. He was saying, yes, we compensated for it, but he told me on the phone later on that we had massive losses in 2020. So that me, we, as companies have to get, put entrepreneurs, we have to put our own money in with a couple of hundred thousand euros to get the company, keep the company going. They all agreed that the black times is coming. We're in the eye of the storm. And all the countries, companies have said, it's not too bad. We have to put money in now, but we are getting back up. But we see something is fundamentally wrong. How do you see that? Well, that's right. If you take a look at the figures right now, last year uh, there were um, predictions that there would be huge numbers in solvencies in 2021. We also had a suspension of the insolvency declaration requirement, which will end uh, was supposed to end at uh, the end of the year. Um, and uh, people said that uh, insolvencies should, uh, should increase, uh, but actually uh, the numbers of insolvencies have reduced from 27 to 13% actually. So we could say, okay, uh, that went very well. But as uh, you said in the last um, uh, meeting, um, those small companies live off their savings and their reserves. So. Uh, if we take a closer look at what's happening right now, we have a large number of companies. Um, we've seen that over the last 10 years already who can't really survive anymore, but can only survive by uh, the um, cheap credit available. So um, they are called zombie companies. So uh, they can only survive because of the zero um, um, percent um, interest rates and as soon as interest rates go up they will die so we have an uh, economic infection uh, effect uh, but of course the the, the reason why uh, insolvent companies are being protected is uh, to stop other companies from being affected infected by this because that would spread once uh, this starts so if uh, in answering the question of why aren't there so many insolvencies right now um, there's uh, many reasons for this we have uh, smaller companies that uh, become insolvent and a few larger companies. Overall, the bigger problem are uh, the bigger companies because they have more jobs, of course. But in the first half of 2020, we had 15.6 billion euro worth of uh, 
uh, monies that could not be paid to uh, creditors anymore. Um, that's a big uh, figure, of course, even though we don't hear about this in, uh, in the media. And it has already uh, has also increased the number of uh, jobs that were lost. We had 90,000 jobs that were lost. Uh, and last year it was 125,000. So what are the reasons for this and why uh, does that happen? Well, as the companies uh, indicated here, they live off reserves. And that is dangerous because they cannot can keep that up only for a period, of, uh, certain period of time. Then uh, you can... Uh, delay your um, tax payments uh, so they accumulate and then uh, the um, health insurance uh, contributions can be delayed, they accumulate and then investments that need to be kept up and I have to say the subsidies that were granted didn't happen the way they should. We spoke about the uh, uh, corporates and the SMEs so the tax refunds should have been uh, based on the taxes paid over the last three years. And what happened? They were simply um, handed out to everybody, including corporates that never paid any taxes over the last three years. So we should have, it should have been said that those uh, should benefit who have been paying um, uh, taxes over the past few years rather than everybody across the board. And then you could have um, softened the whole thing a bit. Uh, so what were these... Uh, uh, subsidies, for instance, uh, equity payments or um, uh, other instruments. We had a corona effect, of course, that we can, that's what we could call it. We have fewer startups and therefore fewer insolvencies. Why? Uh, everybody realized uh, what happens and they said, we won't start a, a company now. Um, this is too difficult. So, this is a statistical effect as well. So. Uh, this reduces, of course, the number of insolvencies, and many uh, banks are not uh, calling in the loans yet, and they keep uh, um, verifying and analyzing and auditing. So those are all reasons that keep the insolvencies at a relatively low level, a level lower than what is would have um, expected, but that has no impact on the future. This will change in the future, I'm convinced of that. And of course, we have major companies uh, that went uh, into insolvency, Imondi um, or Rinskill Bank um, in Bremen, who went uh, insolvent. So we do have these insolvencies, but only a few, but certainly that will increase. I uh, fully expect this. So it's not as it seems. No, no. I believe that this is the camp before the storm. And of course, we have other things that are happening and that are interested in the uh, entrepreneurs. Um, I noticed that in my consultancy work. Um, what will come after the pandemic? I'm not speaking about the um, supply bottlenecks. Um, they will become worse, but we have other things that uh, keep being mentioned by the media as well. Um, and of course, we have entrepreneurs, companies that actually live off reserves and they're unsure. And they wonder what's coming down the line here. And um, there are things up here, for instance, um, uh, compensation uh, payments. Just a quick question on the digitization. Um, you could get uh, subsidies uh, to digitize and so on, Lo loads of stuff. 
could you assume, assume uh, that at least the small companies that uh, produce uh, little don't profit mainly, but the main business is with the known platforms? Can, can we accept expect that? And that newcomers to the business field who swapped over probably will bite off their teeth, won't they? Well, absolutely. That's exactly the way they, you said it. And um, so um, you have to meet certain uh, requirements to get subsidies. And um, theoretically, you have um, the possibility of controlling this via lobbyism. And then the subsidies that are being made available uh, are then easily uh, geared to the corporate needs rather than the SME needs. And that is unfortunately actually uh, what happens. I've just, uh, we've started a little survey during our uh, talk here, uh, asking whether your company uh, benefited from the crisis. 70% of the people said no, and 28 obviously had profits or were doing better or benefited. And then the did the uh, office rental um, landlords help you with the uh, rents and 80% uh, said no and uh, probably um, there was no general readiness to support? Well, the burden sharing you just mentioned, if it becomes a reality, it's being discussed, if it uh, becomes reality, it doesn't affect the corporates, it only affects the small and medium-sized companies again, right? We can assume so. Uh, there's always a way to design it in a way uh, to take instruments, as you said, which are being discussed. We don't know what when they will be there. I think they are going to be because it's easy to imagine we've got uh, big packages that are going to be opened on the EU side. We've got the uh, climate change. <coughs> We've got the en energy turnaround, which is, will swallow massive amounts of money and other aspects. And that, all that bill has to be paid some time. And it's quite clear that something like this will happen, can happen. And if there's no way of designing that, uh, then probably you'll really fully drop into it, the hole. And I think that's a bit of the goal for it because um, they want to get the money back to cover the costs. And um, just uh, on that cross-subsidies um, topic, this is a construction which is not new. It's an idea which is not new. Many have only heard this. The older generation, I've talked to an older tax uh, consultant. He said how the last payments were made at the time after the war. I think that was in '52. Um, ending in uh, 20, uh, 1962, we've got the uh, change of, uh, that's a difficult uh, design because there's many parameters in it and uh, which would could come up with. But as most of us uh, remember is the uh, payment on uh, payment on uh, housing. Um, we've uh, had the burden sharing uh, discussed in the parliament. We've had adjustments in 2019, which will unfold in 2024. And that, for example, uh, 
changed some wording based on the new situation. For example, the word of um, uh, war victims was changed by social um, compensation. So that's been looked at a long time. The International um, Monetary Fund asked for 10%. Uh, all of this, of course, can be the case that um, we have to pay on the assets like we've had in 1952. And probably um, that could be a role model where this was done on the value of a house that one have and the same um, on the credit um, profit made on credit and the um, uh, the liability um, uh, there was a uh, change um, on the mortgages um, uh, which was uh, reduced and it was said okay this is not possible so um, that's it was said that according to the change of the currency the uh, um, profit is then fully subject to uh, the uh, burden sharing and the same was applied to the benefits made from credit due to the currency change so the profit made from that was uh, subjected to taxation and uh, only a little while ago, I think two weeks, it was in the discussion. We had a register of assets from the U Union, from the European Union, uh, a censors asking what people have. I think in 2022. So uh, here, the values are set, and um, they want to know. And uh, many things are to go in there. What's the real estate that someone has? What other values? Gold, cars, uh, art objects. All, of course, of course, fully transparent for the uh, for the people. And, and they said, well, let's not do it right away. But I think that's just a tactical movement. Uh, it's going to come back. That, of course, the question, why Why do they want to know this? And the question is uh, well worth it in this kind of context, especially if we know that this comes up in the press, politicians address it, there should be do this, the burden sharing should be thought of, and so on. So there was a um, lower limit, but um, um, we had uh, having having a credit or a mortgage on the house did not help much. And of course, now big companies have means to uh, set themselves up appropriately. Where is this going to play a role? Will that be in Germany? Will that in the EU? Will that be uh, international across uh, or beyond the EU? There's many ways and it's not going to be a good thing for the people. It's a benefit for all of this with big assets, the corporates really. So that means let me simplify it grossly now. Particularly the global corporates, NGOs, corporates usually, and their, um, uh, the, the people behind them, um, people are behind BlackRock, etc. Those corporates who have benefited from the crisis, and um, as far as we can tell, actually triggered this uh, crisis, will be completely untouched by this burden sharing because they have the options, uh, the possibilities of, what did you say? 
that they have the possibility of uh, evading this by um, shaping their um, tax burden. And, of course, we have other things. Uh, this is not all. We have um, laws such as the um, uh, Company Liquidation Act, uh, which is done uh, in the context with the uh, Federal Institute of um, Financial Services. That's a, a state institution, a federal institution. And if uh, they take a decision, then you cannot uh, take legal recourse. Um, you can't uh, object to it. Uh, that's at the European, at the German level, but also at the European level. Um, and uh, there are many who have published on this uh, in this context. And I've done some research. This is really quite uh, comprehensive. So, if there is any. Um, um mismatch any if there is um a uh, disbalance um they could tap into uh, uh, data from tax uh, uh, authorities from insolvency um uh, managers um, health insurance companies all uh, all of these data and um, the um, uh, all of the reserves and funds there can be tapped into, and there is no way of uh, objecting to this. So there's no bail-in and bail-out. Uh, so with the uh, bail-in, uh, the uh, account holder uh, is liable with a bail-out. Uh, the taxpayer uh, is responsible. And then there is the Financial uh, Supervisory Act and Article 314 says that in certain uh, conditions, uh, payments can be refused, particularly insurance uh, payments and uh, uh, payments, advance payments can be temporarily suspended. So you have no right to get the benefits. At the same time, you still have to continue your contributions. And those are separate aspects that are extremely important, that are uh, extremely, uh, that can become extremely dangerous, and that is being discussed by uh, small and medium-sized companies, but it also affects uh, individual citizens. But only the normal, normal citizen. And who, ha uh, uh, a uh, corporate management does has any bank savings, they get their million of bonus at the end of the year, at the, um, when we uh, filed suit against Mr. Winterkorn, 17 million euros per year and salary, he doesn't need to save money. You've just said nothing is safe. Savings are not safe. Uh, no way. Um, insurances are not safe. And for the case that you want the insurance to pay, it's easy to say, no, we need your money for something else. And. Uh, we needed to pay out the corporates for the people who just want to have all the money. That's as easy as it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's conceivable. Um, and uh, this can go in any direction. In a pandemic situation, as we just saw, uh, subsidies were paid out to TUI, the largest tour operator in the world. But they were untargeted subsidies and, of course, at the end of the day, 
they said, okay, we'll um, take a closer look at uh, what uh, uh, these funds are made used for. Um, at the end of the day, that is what uh, was the upshot, that these monies did not arrive at the uh, staff members or the companies themselves, but they went to the capital markets. And so uh, the company profits, the corporate profits, were uh, further enhanced and the uh, shareholders were made even richer. So this is, of course, quite targeted and um, undermines the intention. So they got more rich. This is just... Um, cheap tricks the capital the uh, added value no. didn't grow Lufthansa didn't extend their business on the contrary well we don't want to go into detail here exactly so these are the points what's important in this context we said a lot now I often get the re reaction from entrepreneurs who say that doesn't sound so good uh, does that all have a sense anymore sometimes uh, people simply say um, should I give myself the bullet immediately or should I wait a bit? Um, so what's coming down the line, we have to say you're only a plaything as long as you have no uh, option to act. We can see that in our daily consultancy business. There are many approaches to avert these uh, threats and to come up with constructs that are not illegal, they're completely legal, but to... Uh, establish your company or your private assets uh, to avoid um, uh, this kinds of th these kinds of things also what you have to uh, be careful about now uh, for SMEs you have to maintain your liquidity you have to generate liquidity it may be good to eat into your uh, reserves um, if that's necessary then um, that's all uh, you can do but you might actually sell um, sell certain uh, assets, uh, or you could uh, have a uh, um, assets uh, management to see whether um, customers are uh, liquid, uh, whether you can actually give them some credit, i.e. sell something to them. And um, then the uh, commercial um, uh, real estate, which has already, the price of which has already collapsed, uh, you might sell them. And you know that uh, commercial real estate will lose value. And so I'm convinced of that. So you might sell this now. But I, um, you might um, sell and lease back, so you're no longer the owner of the real estate, and um, that helps to hedge against these uh, issues. You need to organize. Uh, you have uh, that's something I support all the time. You need people who um, are peers, basically in the same situation. So you need to create as little uh, an amount of uh, autarky, um, independence. Um, so you might um, ensure yourself um, energy supply, for instance, your own uh, energy supply via a uh, combined uh, heat and power system. Um, I might have someone who uh, gives me legal support, etc. All of these are approaches that you can um, pursue as a company. And all these problems that we uh, already have, uh, we don't have a... Um, glass bowl, a crystal bowl, of course, but uh, if these things happen, then, of course, you're very limited in what you can do. 
So I can only recommend to think about what are uh, the threats, um, to think about whether this is relevant for, uh, for me or not. And if it doesn't affect me, that's fine. But if it does affect me, then I should uh, become active now. Well, the best thing is go to the election, first of all, because here I have seen a list which fully surprised me, which was the election in Sachsen-Anhalt on the state. We, t we have been talking about representative democracy, which means that the uh, entrepreneurs should be represented, that the whole population should be represented, but that's not the case. And I think Sachsen-Anhalt is a typical example, maybe a bad one, but uh, uh, um, we talk about 40% of non-electors, and if we see these uh, famous bars, SPD, CDO, all the German parties, the first one is the non-voters, 40%. And at the back you see 6% and 0.6% um, uh, um, void votes. So, in this democracy, nearly 47% of the population that should be represented are pushed under the table. And that is, of course, effective on the uh, companies. So, you should think if whether political activity can help balance or stop um, what is coming up to get some people into the parliament as long as we have it as it is to counterbalance this. Okay, Holger. I know you do corporate consult company consultation. People can approach you if you have questions. Yes, they surely can. That is what we do strongly now. We've grown a lot uh, in this respect due to the demand and, of course, the uh, reports that we see coming in. The companies are insecure. Uh, corporate companies that work in the fourth, uh, fourth, second, first, fourth generation, they want to maintain their company. They want to have a strategy, and that's very, very difficult to find now. And we start by looking at uh, maintaining what the company has and do resource management, do budget management to show clear goals. Where can it go? It's not easy to do. It's never a 100% guarantee, but we do that with scenario techniques so that we look at parameters that may change and then be able to adapt the strategy here. So, very welcome. If there are questions, if there is a need, um, there is going to be seminars, trainings on this, so that if we see uh, there is a big demand, and we'll do that by seminars, so that many people uh, get it, can get a lot of information and decide for themselves on what to do and how to behave. There's many other parameters that may play a role as well. Okay, Holger. I have the um, urgent suspicion, after all what you've said and what we've heard before, that this uh, uh, corporatation, I may call it, the uh, corporate aim of politics is not by coincidence, but what we call as uh, Davos click, uh, Davos uh, group um, mixing policy, politics and the corporates, including growing up their own puppets of string in that global leader program. I have this suspicion that this is a targeted activity against the small and medium-sized companies, and uh, they just being exploited and used up. Their innovative power is used up and exploited by the big ones until nothing is left over. 
So I think we won't get around, it could have been done before, should have been done before, to look at the interests of the small and medium-sized companies because they are the ones who um, have who provide the major share of jobs and who pay the taxes and who bring the innovation to the company, to the country. Apart from that, we can simply kick the bucket, I think. Yes, absolutely. That's Germany's future. They are the ones who pay the taxes, as you say. They provide the job. They provide apprenticeships. And it should be in our all of interest and in the interest of the politic. politics. Um, it's so difficult to understand. Uh, politicians are paid by taxes, and at the end of the day, nobody pays taxes because they can. Who will pay them? Who will pay their salaries? And that's a bit of a short-sightedness that I see in politics, so I wouldn't... I can't see any sustainable long-term thinking. And the politicians who take the decisions now, and I think many of them try to do it as good as they can, even if the outcome is good or not, you can decide for yourself. They want to have their pensions paid in the end, and of course that'll only be done by taxation. And um, if a country is hollowed out, it won't be able to do so. So it'd be in all our interest to get stand up strongly and find out what is the point and what made this country be what it is, or maybe what it was even. <clears throat> I have one comment to make. Um, the, you've showed this big column of the non-voters, and people are coming up everywhere saying, don't vote, because if we are under 50%, under we can keep we can tilt over the system. That is nonsense. Even if the if only 10% of the people vote, it will still be the proportionality which is active. This is why it's so important to go to the election if you want to change things <clears throat> and look at who's coming up with the right program. So, that very important to point out every vote counts. Go to cast your vote. If you stay at home, you're not going to change anything. You'll only make sure that the people who are in power and really got us drowned down into this uh, swamp stay there. So go election, go, go to vote. Very important, Wolfgang, you say that these campaigns that go here, go in that direction, uh, are completely ignorant or they are controlled. <clears throat> because if you look into this, you know what everybody, what you've just said. And against that background, I think this is a disinformation campaign that is going on. So you've got to be careful here that this topic, uh, saying it doesn't matter who you give your second vote, if you uh, focus on a direct candidate because you like them, uh, that's important. But the second vote is something to be used very carefully and only be given to a party that you are convinced of especially with respect to these actions problem that we have at the moment. And it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't matter that you give that uh, to the AFD, <clears throat> which is the so-called right-wing party, uh, not very active in uh, doing that, uh, going against the measures or others, uh, the animal protection parties. I don't want to give any names here really, but you have to look at that very carefully. What do you do with your second vote content-wise? And uh, I think, well, support them. Uh, I think that is uh, a toxic now in that short point in time to start up, uh, sit on campaigns that are going to push you in different ways. 
that is just the splitting up. We shouldn't take part in that. And if you take the second vote, uh, you have to know that the party gremiums, the party bodies decide whom they send to the parliament. And we have this funny situation that people get to the parliament that have no idea about who the voters are, who only want to build their career on being at the top of the party to get the good uh, place on the list. And you can't support these people. So you really have to take care that with the second vote, you really are careful and uh, uh, look at what's the, uh, where's, isn't these mechanisms. Of course, it'd be good if we could only have directly elected uh, representatives in the parliament, but that's not the case. Holger, thank you. <clears throat> thank you very much. Uh, people who want to address you, they can find your university. Do you have a private email address? Or uh, come on, we'll find you on the internet. Of course, you find me on the internet quite clearly. And uh, of course, I'm happy if there are questions, uh, you can uh, I put forward my contact. Uh, there is a great demand and we're going to make it available online. So everybody's welcome. Send an email to the Alshos. I don't know if you can forward it. Yes, we can. That's great. So thank you very much for having me for the frank discussion, for the open discussion. It's really important for me to support medium-sized companies. Um, I am really convinced. Um, um, I saw uh, what the medium-sized companies did for this country when I was a child, and that shouldn't be lost. Thank you very much for the sharing of ideas and all the best. Thank you and have a nice weekend. Of course, uh, we can't do advertising for individual offers here. In general, it is uh, important to look in these things. If you have assets that you want to save, look at who offers these kind of uh, consultations. So just to make sure we don't want to advertise individual countries. Yes, it's completely independent. It's open. I just want to make sure that everybody should look this up. There's great uh, other companies and um, I wouldn't want to have all the emails. Um, really, uh, that would be too much. The main point was to draw attention to the problem. The problem which has been uh, around as Corona and which was uh, um, sharpened and then maybe applied to all assets, um, including uh, savings, uh, insurances by the tax, uh, by the burn sharing. That is something one has to know. Thank you, Holger. Thank you very much. Okay. Now we have, we're going to open two streams. We're going to have a German and an English one. If you want to follow the English version in the original language, you have to swap uh, streams now. Now we are going to switch into English and the English Grudrun Leden und Gunnar. You are two Swedish politicians and uh, you can tell us something about the um, the truth about Sweden between the political reality, media coverage and international glorification. I'm sorry to have kept you waiting for so long, but it always happens in this in our sessions. Are you there? Yes. 
Oh, good. We can hear you. Uh, so what what is it about Sweden? For a while, we uh, were looking at Sweden. We thought, well, this is great because they're getting through this without any of these anti-corona measures. Life seems to be perfect, not just in Sweden, but in some of the other uh, Scandinavian countries as well. But yours was the one country that everybody was looking at and thinking, wow, this is great. They're doing much better than anyone else. All of a sudden, the tide turned. I mean, not the tide, but the media media reports about Sweden. And then they said, oh, no, they made a bad mistake. However, when I talked to the Swedes, no mistake was made. Uh, it's just a political thing that's going on. It seems uh, on the one hand, you have your uh, virologist um, Anders uh, Tegnell. And on the other hand, you have politicians who are either applying pressure themselves or seem to be under pressure. So what is really going on? Yes, um, what I can see from my perspective as a politician and as a member of the society, uh, the media, the media here, they don't, uh, they only tell one side of this. And it's, it's that uh, there is a virus, it's very, it's a pandemic and uh, you have to take the shots and um, recommendations of masks uh, was just a recommendation, but when you chose to don't wear them, uh, people stared at you. And when you come with another opinion of this, this that uh, there is an agenda behind this, uh, then they think you, uh, you are, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> so I feel very lonely. <laughs> both in my, uh, not with my husband, but uh, my children and re other relatives and uh, uh, friends and the society, everyone. Is it, is it that just as in all of the other European countries at least, um, and of course in the United States and some other countries as well, that the media pressure is what determinates what what is going on in your country? Is it the media that applies all kinds of pressure in order to make people do what the, well, political side is trying to push? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, that's, uh, that's a real fact. Mm -hmm. But is it also true that you, I, I mean, if, if I look at the figures that are being reported, then you got through this pandemic thus far. And we, of course, know there is no pandemic. I'm saying this because our viewers have those who have watched us for over a year now know that there is no pandemic. This is something like the flu. It's no more dangerous than the common flu. This is a PCR test pandemic. And that's it. That's that's the end of the story. Plus, we have alternative measure uh, um, methods of treatment. But um, if I look at if I look at the figures coming from Sweden, it looks as though there's no difference between what happened in Sweden and what happened in those countries where they had very strict anti-corona measures. Is that correct? Yes, I think uh, Gunnar can mm -hmm. <laughs> take that. Um, so what do you think is the reason for Swedish politicians trying to exert so much pressure on the population? Is it that they're bowing to somebody else's 
pressured somebody else's uh, ideas. And who is that? Is it is it the um, is it the global? Who is it? I, from what we learned here, it's global corporations that have pretty much all of the power. We just talked to a professor of economics who explained to us how our small and medium-sized businesses were more or less squashed over the last couple of, not just the last couple of years, but even before that. Is it the same in Sweden? Because I know from experience, I have some really good friends in Sweden, that you have a very, um, very successful small and medium-sized um, corporations. Is it the same situation in Sweden that you have global, global corporations that are applying all the pressure on your politicians? Yes, mm -hmm. uh, it's very obvious. Mm -hmm. um, what do the people do? The, do the people understand this, or do they do most of them believe what they're? seeing or uh, reading in the mainstream media? Almost everyone uh, believe what they see in media. I met two persons uh -huh. so far that uh, are, are more informative. Can I ask you, since the um, you know the pandemic was uh, the, the coronavirus crisis was not so so intense, like with regards to the lockdown in, in Sweden, and you got through this crisis a little bit, um, you know, with less, um, uh, you know, limitations. Do, why, why would people then um, feel the need for this, like, experimental vaccine? I mean, is, is it not harder to explain to the people that this is necessary? Uh, the media, uh, they have... Uh, painted it like uh, they uh, they uh, use fear and it's fear every day and people are like sheep uh, full of a leader and uh, believe all that and they are so scared so they they run to take the shots mm -hmm. do you know what the vaccination rate is in your country the percentage of those who have gotten the two shots. I mean, in some countries, by the way, including Germany, people are now running to get the third shots. And then every six months, what, another one. Uh, I think it is 80%. I think Gunnar has the right numbers. Oh, 80. Mm. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they, I don't think it's uh, here in the region, uh, Western Ireland, mm -hmm. uh, up here, uh, they say that uh, th it's uh, more than it's 80 percent uh, who are uh, over 60 mm -hmm. mm. taking uh, two shots. So the old people. Do, 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 do you, you have know? the numbers, Gunnar? <coughs> uh, it's uh, nearly 80 percent. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know exactly, but 78, 79. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about what about the doctors in your country? Uh, they are rather independently working. They are working for, for, for the state, for the community. And do they protect the people from nonsense, from, from, from damage through vaccines? Are they critical? Do, are they, do they ask questions or do they just, are they re rewarded to participate in this nonsense? Do they ex get extra money when they, when they are using the vaccine? Are they bribed by that or not? 
I believe they can be rewarded. They are rewarded. I don't know for sure, but uh, I have never heard of any doctor who uh, or not appear uh, that are um, protecting the people from the uh, side effects or something. You just uh, follow the uh, the instructions they have from above. Well, the thing, the important thing is um, that. 11 years ago, when we had the swine flu pandemic, which turned out to be a mild flu, uh, the same protagonists uh, tried their best at fear-mongering. It was, again, the mainstream media, and it was the same protagonists. One of them is our uh, German uh, professor, Drusten, and another one is Neil Ferguson from Great Britain. They painted a very bleak picture of you're gonna, millions are gonna die unless they get vaccinated. But then it turned out, no, this is just a big hoax. This is just a mild flu. In the meantime, however, uh, thousands, no, millions of people had gotten vaccinated. Um, by vaccines and and the contract with vaccines who we still don't know what they really are the contracts are still being kept secret the contracts between the vaccine makers and the nation states but as a result of these uh, vaccinations 1300 children uh, from in particular from the Scandinavian countries are now permanently disabled because they suffer from narcolepsy. And it was Dr. Wolfgang Wodak who more or less single-handedly stopped the whole hoax um, because he was then in a position of power working for the, still as a member of the German uh, Bundestag, the German parliament and uh, the, the European Council. Um, have people forgotten about that? All the side effects from the vaccinations, have yes. they forgotten about it? Yes, I think so. No, go ahead, Gunnar. Yes, I, I think so. And in that case, uh, there were many, many Swedes that um, took the, the, the injections. It about, uh, if I remember correctly, it was about uh, a uh, little more than five millions uh, of Sweden. We had a very high inoculation rate uh, with the swine, swine flu in Sweden. What ha I, let me let me quickly because um, maybe our, I'm pretty sure our viewers don't know this. Let me quickly tell them who you are. Gudrun, you are a member of a Swedish regional and ethics council and responsible for healthcare and more within the region you just mentioned, Vesta Norland. And you, Gunnar, are a social scientist and former Swedish county and mun municipal politician from 2001 to 2019, right? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, can I, can I uh, sure. uh, correct something? Um, uh, I'm a member of the regional council, mm -hmm. yes, and I'm a member of uh, a board called the Patient Board and Ethical Board, but uh, as a politician you don't sit in the ethical board. Uh, there you can find uh, doctors, nurses and a priest, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. but it's called, and I have uh, earlier, from the, when I was elected in 2018, I was in the municipal how do you mm -hmm. pronounce it municipal uh, council and, uh, board, yes and yeah. council mm -hmm. and the board and and mm -hmm. the humanistic board there so I, for two years i had to leave it because i was sick 
What what happened with Anders Tegnell? Because he's the most prominent face that we have seen in Sweden, right? And it started right at the start. He was the one who was always quiet and calm, explaining to everyone that no extra measures needed to be taken. It was important to protect those who are vulnerable, uh, the older people who are in the nursing homes, those with pre-existing conditions, etc. But he was always quiet and calm and nothing serious happened in Sweden. You got through the pandemic with no problems whatsoever. The figures that we, uh, that at least that we saw in the mainstream, even in the mainstream media, were no different, even better than those of, uh, from countries, uh, including I think um, uh, the Netherlands and Belgium, where they had very strict anti-corona measures. So what happened to his voice? Why don't we see anything of him anymore? Why don't we hear him anymore? Why is it only politicians who are now blasting the, uh, well, the uh, pa panic me message? Hmm. Uh, from my personal opinion, I think uh, he's, uh, he's backed off uh, because he, he can't stand up. He knows that <laughs> uh, it's wrong. Yeah. And he's put over the responsibility on the politicians, and they are bought with the price <laughs> from uh, the globalists. And they, uh, yeah. if they don't uh, do what the globalists says, they they get rid of them, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So they, in in essence, these politicians who have been bought by the globalists are afraid. Is that so? Uh, I don't. You you can't feel that they are afraid. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they are. You know, anything for money. Yeah, the money seems to pl play a really important role. Not for the people who are behind this, because they have more than enough money, but mm. they're using it to buy politicians, to buy uh, the media, to buy uh, doctors, to buy here in this country and in many other countries as well, to buy the judges. Um, it seems like it's the same in Sweden, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And that's why you feel lonely, don't you? I mean, of, <laughs> what, what about the people around you in the region where you live? Uh, is it as bad as it is in in most of the other countries meaning maybe we have 70 percent or maybe even 80 percent of the people who are completely in line with the mainstream media and the and the line of the government and only 20 to 30 percent who are skeptical who are asking questions or is it is it better is the ratio different and more in favor of those who are skeptical in sweden or in in, in the region where you live no, I think it's it's uh, a lower rate with wow. them who are uh, mm -hmm. suspecting. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday I spoke to a German member of parliament and it was interesting because he said that um, he's, he thinks that um, the, at least the politicians here really believe what they're saying and there's like afraid of the virus and they think everything is okay. I mean, I, um, I'm i not quite sure if I, if I can believe what he says because he's part of the people who have voted mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, in parliament and got, got us into all that trouble. But um, 
at, le at least he's not opposing the what's going on in a really like you know explicit or like all the time kind of way. And um, but in a way, I, I really I mean, it must be because it's so completely irrational what's going on here, um, you know, also that they are now cutting the um, if you the sick leave payment for the people who are unvaccinated, you know, in order to force them into getting, you know, being vaccinated and then also that they're not paying for the tests here anymore from October on. So like people just received an email today from a, um, uh, a mother of like uh, three students you know and now they have I mean like in the university uh, students you know and they uh, she's simply not able to afford for the constant testing that's supposed to go on so she maybe then would need to tell her sons to um, get vaccinated I mean that's an absolute grotesque uh, situation if you're aware of all you know the dangers involved with this um, mm -hmm. but it seems for to me it seems that it's more that they're I mean even if they're not consciously you know if they're not aware of why they're doing this that it must be connected to some complete denial of the situation that they're really trying to push forward in order to because they know if it goes down the system then they're you know they're lost i mean they have no chance of surviving once i mean not physically maybe surviving but in their positions and um you know in the social um, acceptance of what they're doing so they basically would be like socially wrecked um, once it becomes obvious what they've done and how responsible they are for for all that, if that's you know becomes aware, um, the, um, you know if everyone realizes what they've done. Do you have Do you have any politician in Sweden who is ringing the bell, who is who is speaking against this, who is who is speaking up and who just, who says no, that's not true? Do you have anyone in Sweden? No one. What? No one. No. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a, a very absurd situation. Um, I've been studying this uh, quite closely since uh, October, November 2020. And, uh, and in these days, uh, just a few days ago, I published uh, what I call the white paper about what has happened in Sweden, what the situation is and the future. And I, I call it a white paper because I'm really trying to, to tell the truth. So, so and I, I call the paper um, the world uh, uh, Afghan and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. uh, Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. The world is a Afghanistan. Uh, reminding of um, the, the famous book of Franz Kafka, the, the, the process. Yeah. I think it's everything in Sweden is, is up and down. They are not telling the truth at any yeah. point. But I was, I was, black is white and white is black. Yeah. I was always admiring Sweden because um, the people, the citizens trusted the government. They trusted that everything is transparent. There is the less con uh, com uh, corruption in Sweden. And it was famous for not being corrupt and for being transparent. And uh, I think now there must be a big paralysis, paralyzed population because suddenly they cannot rely on their politicians anymore. Mm -hmm. And they cannot rely on their media anymore. And this is very much astonishing. We in Germany and in other countries, we are used to, to such corruption. We have experienced it before mm -hmm. and we are suspicious. So there is some, but in a country where people 
used to rely on politicians, where they were open, where everyone publishes what he earns, which money he earns, and so everything is transparent. Mm. If the government, if the, if the head of the politicians, if they suddenly are, are taken over by secondary interests, yeah. it must be a very, very bad experience and you have to, to, have to find your, your position in this. I think it's much more work, mental work and imagining in Sweden now than it was in other countries where corruption has been experienced many years by the people. Mm. Mm. Do you believe that if people knew what is really going on, that this is nothing to do with health, but rather the shifting of our assets from the uh, uh, lower and middle classes all the way up to the super rich, and th that these are medical experiments that are being conducted with um, vaccines that have not been tested, there are no medical studies. If people knew this, would that change their minds? In other words, is it only because they don't have the relevant information that they are bowing to the pressure? I, I think they don't have the relevant information because the mass media's influence on, on people's minds are very, very strong. Mm -hmm. And the Swedish are called public television. They, they are mostly a propaganda machine mm -hmm. for those interests you, you are talking about. Mm -hmm. So, so no, no different opinions are, are coming through in the, in the mainstream media in Sweden. Mm -hmm. It's totally blocked. What about the alternative media? There mm -hmm. must be alternative media outlets that do tell the truth because we have them everywhere. We have them here in Germany. We mm -hmm. have them in, in the United Kingdom, in, in Spain, everywhere. There must be such outlets in Sweden as well. Yes, we have. Mm -hmm. and, and there you can have uh, much interesting information in mm -hmm. those media. But uh, the general public, they doesn't uh, follow that. So they don't know. Uh -huh. I think mo most of the people, they don't know. Mm -hmm. they, they are trusting the, the, the government and they are trusting the public health agency. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Uh, uh, I think uh, that uh, uh, when you tell people that you can have you can get information mm. on the internet and it's openly uh, bill gates it, you have documents you can but when you tell people oh your cons it's conspiracy <laughs> they don't take it they don't take chance to 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 search themselves they they push it away we don't want to know that we trust the the, the media the, the normal Okay, so in other words, this is something that I think most Germans will find very surprising, maybe even shocking, because even here in Germany, where a lot of pressure is being applied, where people, the government and the mainstream media, which are completely under the control of the globalists, to put it that way, or as Catherine Austin Fitz put it, Mr. Global. She looks at the global uh, corporations, the global NGOs, and the people behind them who control everything, as and, and she calls them Mr. Global. Um, if, if, that, if that is so... Um, in, uh, people don't expect, here in Germany, people don't expect Swedes to be so easily controlled because it's just like 
Wolfgang said, it's a transparent society. Everyone knows what every what kind of money everyone makes. Um, mm. And it's supposed to be a very liberal society. How can mm. it be that people who, who, who have different opinions are being ostracized just the same as they are here. Here in Germany, they're all called right-wing, right-wing, Nazi, mm. Nazi, conspiracy yeah. theories. Is that the same in Sweden? Yes, <laughs> it is. But in Sweden, I, I think it's uh, that people are, are very much trusting to the authorities. Uh -huh. That's a long, long history, uh, back to the 1700s, or something like yes. that. We, we have authorities uh, since a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And people, they, they often follow what they are saying. Um, this is a big value if you have it like this, if you can rely on your government and can you, you don't have to think about being betrayed. It was a very, very big worth you had. It was very, very valuable. Mm. And uh, it's so sad when I hear what you're, what you're telling, when I observe what is going on in Sweden now, that there are some people who are very rich and who buy newspapers and they just they don't bribe the politicians the single ones they bribe the top they buy the top yes. yeah. and they just buy those instruments mm. with which they can use and betray people and they it's it's mm. the most the cheapest way to practice corruption when you buy the king yes mm. yes yeah. yeah, but the king, the emperor, has no clothes. Sooner or later, the Swedes will know this too. It looks as though this is, in a way, similar to the situation in Israel. You know what we heard from uh, from the Israelis? Because we asked them the same question. How can it be that your people are so gullible and that they agree to getting shots with um, a vaccine which nobody knows if it's effective and nobody knows if it's dangerous. On the contrary, uh, I just um, read from a um, uh, I, I, from a from a new paper that was published that uh, in the meantime, over twenty five thousand I forget the correct numbers of uh, over twenty five thousand people have died after vaccination in Europe. And this is only the tip of the iceberg. So it cannot be different in Sweden. There must be serious side effects, which are probably uh, being swept under the rug. But the Israelis who are suffering now from these side effects have 86% of the people who are now in the hospitals who, who show COVID symptoms, not, not, who are not just tested positive, but who show COVID symptoms. 86% of the people have gotten both shots. So they're finally waking up to what's really going on but and you, they're and you saying know, this showing covid symptoms is the same thing when you get a vaccination you show covid symptoms the side effect yeah. this is not the this is not a covid infection this is the side effect of those parts uh, of, of the, the vaccinations virus. yeah that that is and they'd say it's covid it's not it's the spikes yeah. that are in the yeah. body yeah. which you normally don't enter the body. So we have to be very careful that we don't take over the, the, the wording of those people telling us they have COVID. No, they have side effects of the infection. Yeah, yeah. we know that. Very important. We, we know that. We, the, uh, it's, another example is people in Mongolia had absolutely no COVID whatsoever. They're showing the side effects of the vaccinations, which they claim are COVID, 
only after getting the shots. And that is causation. We have causation right there. But I was going to say in Israel, they're saying, yeah, we trusted our governments because we had to trust our governments because we're always under siege. We're always under attack. That's why we trust our government. Mm -hmm. And that's why we do not expect our own government to betray us. It seems to be in a way similar in Sweden. Yeah. Yes. yes. People cannot Absolutely. believe that it's not, there, there is no health crisis, but you have to distrust your own government because they're selling not just your soul, they're selling your health, you're, yes. they're selling your bodily integrity. Yeah, I do. Is that, the, is that the impression that you have and the people who are on your side, those maybe 20% of the Swedes, or it, it's maybe even less, right? Is, is that the way they think? Do they understand that um, this is not about health, but it's no. about the deliberate no. destruction? I think they of don't. They don't understand it. Uh huh. But those twenty percent, or is it less? Uh, what do you think, Una? It's, it's yes. less, about ten percent. I guess. Oh. Yes. Yes. So it's only ten percent of the population in in mm. your in your view that who understand what's really so. going on. Mm. Mm. I think so. You I know think what? That is still good enough. That is still good enough. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, but you're going to need our support and the support from the rest of the world to turn the tables, I think. Yeah. Yes. Is there a discussion about the side effects like amongst the, the people? Is there a lot of discussion about this or are getting people a little bit irritated that there's side, side effects or is this just normal? Not at all. No. But no. Are, are there are there less side effects in in Sweden than in maybe? They are only, only telling us that it's normal. Yes. You, you can expect side effects yes. when, yes. when you take as they call a vaccine. Yes. And they are all, all, always of course uh, saying it's a vaccine, but it isn't. Hmm. Hmm. But, but, but those voices they won't be heard. Okay, so but uh, this kind of unexpected, sudden, you know, like a healthy person, young person, and drops dead the other the next day, or like uh, shortly after that, or this myocarditis, does that is that that's also existing in Sweden? That's the same thing. We have the same side effects that we're looking at, or do you happen to have much less than we do? Uh, I I heard uh, the other day uh, a week ago about a, a person who knows uh, his um, girlfriend works uh, at the uh, healthcare in town near the hospital and they had a very uh, good <laughs> doctor he was uh, very 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 good and they all uh, everyone liked him the, the they who worked with him and the patients and he was very healthy about his uh, 50s uh, or something was out uh, bicycling bicycling and and he suddenly he dropped dead huh. and, and and you know they said it, that's normal it happened his heart stopped uh, uh, because of some reason but he had taken the vaccine who is this i don't know, I don't know the name mm. uh, because i heard no, this it is we, I, I have to say something about the about the young men who are getting ill with, with myocarditis um, there is a big difference when you get the injection, you get it into the muscle of the deltoideus in the, in the arm here. And you know, with old women in, in, the, in, the, in, in the home for elderly people, they don't have muscles here. It's very few. 
They even cannot lift their arms anymore, many of them. But those young, sportive people, those men, mm -hmm. they have very strong muscles very often. And the stronger the muscle is, the bigger is the risk that the injection goes directly into the vein. Oh. And from the vein, the vein, the blood goes into the into the heart, to the right yeah. heart, yeah. Yeah. and there is the the system which gives the impulse for the heart beating, yeah. the, the sinus nodes, and the whole uh, the whole uh, electric electric system of the heart, mm. and it's there. And when the, when those when those vaccines, when those nanoparticles, or when those adenoviruses make an infection in within the heart, there, then suddenly the heart doesn't work anymore correctly and you have an infection there and the muscle may be infected and this is many young this is why many young men suddenly suffer from myocarditis and the old people much less they have different they have thrombosis and such things but this it has something to do that five to ten percent ten percent of all the injections go into the veins and the more blood there is the more muscle there is the more blood there is the bigger the risk Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So I think we have to, to make people aware. If yes. those sporty young men are much more endangered of myocarditis because of the risk that they get the injection. You may normally, when you give an injection to the muscle, we used to, to aspire to look whether it is in the vein or not, mm -hmm. to suck a little bit with, with the syringe. But uh, now the WHO and everyone says, you need to do it, just inject. Mm. And this is a big risk for people who have strong muscles here. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, do you think there is a chance that um, that Anders Tegnet will reappear and speak out, or do you think he has been silenced for good? Mm. I think I think he's he's silenced. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I think the, the, the pressure on Sweden is um, getting stronger from, from the, as you call it, Mr. Global. Yeah. And uh, yes. yesterday was a day of sorrow in Sweden for, for us uh, that don't believe in the so-called vaccines. Mm -hmm. Because they, they allow now from, from, for, uh, injections for children from 12 to 15 years old. Mm -hmm. It was yesterday uh, the government took that decision, mm -hmm. and uh, not, not only with that, they also they are putting unvaccinated uh, against inoculated. Mm -hmm. So they they are um, yes. Yes. So putting a, a stronger pressure now on on the, okay. the persons that not have mm -hmm. taken yeah. the mm -hmm. vaccine. So now they are they call it. I think recommended that um, that, that, that persons shall not go to bigger events and so on. Mm -hmm. I think it's only a start because mm -hmm. I, I can see from other countries that, that uh, mm -hmm. for example, it's France and Italy, that is very hard pressure. Uh, because that's called vaccine parties. Mm -hmm. I have one uh, final question from my side. In the beginning, you know, in our last, in our first, uh, maybe, you know, like in the the, the beginning of, of our investigation, like one of the first sessions, like uh, session number five or so, we had um, a German uh, journalist um, living who lived in Sweden at that point, um, Patrick Plaga, and he said to us that, um, you know, at least at that point in time, 
um, there was a lot of like open discussion also like from a scientific point of view about like the coronavirus and measures and stuff. So you would think now because you say the media only, you know, presents this official um, narrative. So has that changed or do you think like from the beginning you maybe, uh, you know, had a different view on like the maybe like unbiased uh, discussion that was possible at the time? back in, I think that must have been like July or August yeah, last year. About a year ago. About a year ago, there seems to be, there seemed to have been a public discussion of different opinions. Is, is that, did we get that wrong or has it changed from then? Um, maybe a, a little of that, but because we have uh, quite a big manifestation in, in, in Sweden, in uh, Kungsträdgården. Mm -hmm. I guess it was in, in September, mm -hmm. but after that, um, the pressure to to follow the stream uh, mm -hmm. has increased all the time, and, and now it's, it's worse than ever. Yes. Okay. <gasps> yeah. Is the um, well, you know what? In those countries where we thought that the population would very quickly collapse under the pressure. The opposite is happening. In uh, Canada and in Australia, people are, more and more people are coming out, including politicians. There's a federal, uh, a federal senator in Australia who came out with a very powerful speech. It, even in the United States, we know that in the United States, I think 27, um, 27 states out of the 50 states are against these uh, anti-corona measures. But even in the United States, the state of California, where I have a house, um, and which is a very, uh, which is very much in line with the government, even there, there is a backlash because people public employees are fighting back and are saying we are not this is you have crossed a red line we're not going to get vaccinated um there there are huge demonstrations even in some countries like australia are there any are there no demonstrations is there no rally by the populace in the streets of the bigger cities like stockholm and other cities in sweden it's very little of that. Uh -huh. Very few persons are, are, are participating in those manifestations. Mm -hmm. We will see what will happen now on Saturday. Uh -huh. You have a worldwide rally for freedom yeah. over the world. And uh, there's, it's going to be a new meeting in Stockholm on Saturday. So mm -hmm. we will see. But, but um, I think one interesting thought is that um, because it's been worse in other countries. Uh, people from Sweden, they are thinking, uh, oh, oh it's, it's, it's not so, so dangerous here because it's worse <laughs> on, on other places. So therefore, um, they, they won't uh, protest so much. Yeah, but isn't it strange that they don't, un that they don't see <clears throat> the connection between yeah. how you didn't have any really bad measures no mm. lockdowns, no mass mandates, and you're, mm. you still got through uh, perfectly well. Don't they see that it doesn't make a difference? I mean, mm. it's not because of the vaccinations that you got through. You got mm. through without the vaccinations, but yeah. it, people don't see that. Does that mean that they just believe the bullshit that the mainstream media are telling them without looking they, at reality? 
They yes. believe that the bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It, it's it's strange and it's it's not it's not it, it's uh, quite uh, difficult to understand. Yeah. That it can be this way. Yeah. In, in, in Denmark, in Denmark, the the measure. I mean, it's, we had the information in Denmark. Basically, the pandemic is over. Um, you know that, and is that because they're all vaccinated now, or what's the what's the narrative for that, and how is that received in in Sweden? This is very interesting because if we're talking about doses, they they have told the, the Swedish people that with two doses you are full vaccinated, mm -hmm. but now they are not saying that anymore. Now they are talking about three doses, and uh, one famous uh, scientist uh, at, at the Karolinska Institute, he's uh, talking about five doses. And I can see from other countries, uh, they are talking even of 10 doses and, and uh, a dose every half a year. That's precisely <laughs> what, what they're going for. We heard from a, from a German politician, that is precisely what we heard, that the plan, and this plan, this was announced to one of my clients in October of 2019, which is two months before the vaccine, before the uh, vaccination started. He said, it's not going to be over with two doses. You're going to get vaccinated every six months. It's a done deal. So this is another piece of this global lockdown or lockstep rather approach. Everyone's going to get vaccinated every six months and people don't seem to care. I mean, no. No. I don't well, weird. Like you ordered uh, vaccines like 4.4 uh, um, uh, billion doses. So that means for us in Europe, that's like 10, 10 shots each. So I mean, they're already yeah. stocking uh, for exactly that purpose, it seems. Hmm. Well, in Sweden, they they have bought many many doses. I I, I can't figure the number now, but um, much more than than two doses. I think it's three, mm. four, five. Mm. Mm. They already already mm, buy this from from the, the vaccine companies. Mm -hmm. um, one final question: Do you think that the Swedish politicians who are pushing this, who are pushing this global agenda? who are doing the bidding of Mr. Global. Do you think they know what they're doing or, or do you think they do it because they're getting bribed? I uh, personally, I think <laughs> uh, many of them know what they are doing and I don't, uh, I'm not sure that they are taking the shots, uh, but they, they, <laughs> I think that if they don't do it, they lose their positions. Uh -huh. And that's why they're doing it. So they're doing it for the money, for the money and for their careers. Yes, I believe it. And they don't care if people die. No, they have no, uh, they have no feelings at uh -huh. all, I feel. No empathy. Mm -hmm. No empathy, yes. Well, I, well, let me tell you one thing. One thing I know for sure, and not just because I'm a lawyer, they will pay for it. They will pay for it. Okay. Well, uh, it's uh, <laughs> this is not a nice story to hear, mm -hmm. but if there's only 10% of the people who are on our side, on your side and our side, who do ask questions and who are 
interested in finding out the real truth, who understand about Mr. Global and his agenda. If there's only 10%, that's good enough. You're going to get a lot of support from many of the other countries, and that will definitely turn the tide eventually, because there's no other way. There is no other way. We do have to win this. This is good against evil. It's yes, as simple yes, as that. It it's good against yes. evil. Yes. Okay, Gudrun and Gunnar, thank you so much. And uh, despite all of this, try and have a good weekend. Try and take a walk and go out and, and, and see what nature is all about, because that's what life is. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Dann können wir jetzt wieder ins Deutsche zurückgehen. So we can switch back to German. We have to look at Greece. A look to take at Greece. Greece is prominent because it is the birthplace of democracy. And this is what this is all about. The cradle of democracy. And we have to see a child. We have Mr. Pan Pavlakoudis, who is in the legal um, association in the bases. We have um, Professor Vahidis and Georges uh, Kazimates, who is a constitutional and the head of the office of the minister president, who many of known Andreas Papandreou. And we've got Dr. Epidophoris Soteriadis. He is an epidemiologist from Cyprus who is in close contact with John Joannidis. And we've got Dr. Stylianis Kapanidou, a psychiatrist and Greek Orthodox part, father. Pan, maybe you can start. You I think all of you speak German or some, at least. Maybe you could start. What will I start with, the situation in Greece? Well, the country is in a uh, social political trap right now. We can see that large parts of the population, I'd say somewhere between uh, around 70%, are afraid, angry, willing maybe to resist, but not most of them. 30%, I'd say. They're opportunists who benefit from the system, and you can't convince those. Now, what it's about is children who have, uh, who are to be excluded from the educational system, and it's happening on a daily basis right now, unless they get a vaccination. Today, I got a video where students took to the streets of Athens to protest this as well. So there is resistance, there is this Hellenistic uh, rebellious streak is there, but there's no group to lead them. There's no leaders to condense it to what's politically crucial to oppose this government, which is not uh, acting on its own impulse, but uh, on the uh, under the pressure of who God knows who, telling them which are the democratic limits in a um, country governed by the state of law. Um, unfortunately, the uh, judiciary, just much like in Germany, is caught in this trap and can uh, 
free themselves um, only um, to a very little extent. I only know a single uh, public prosecutor uh, in Saloniki that I know personally who says he would love to do something if he could. Many physicians are worried about their future, not only their uh, jobs, but their future generally, because even when this hype is over, their name will continue to be damaged in certain circles. The, this is a fear these people have. So there's a lot to be said about Greece. And in Greece, I can see a huge opportunity as well, specifically the one that it's all about now, that the civil society manage, manages to bring down these structures. So that this uh, government falls, and this might uh, encourage the populations of other countries that are uh, teetering on the brink, such as France, uh, to demonstrate more against uh, these measures. So how could this collapse or implosion of the government come about? Well, it's well known from psychology uh, what's happening is that those who are uh, with their backs against the wall, back to wall, uh, make mistakes. And this government will uh, certainly uh, not back down. They will fight back. They will use even more massive um, means and possibly even violence if this critical mass uh, emerges with the police or with the military and we as the civil society who took it upon ourselves to uh, inform people need uh, to influence as well to give the courage to the police and to the military personnel uh, to oppose the government and to protect the constitution. Now, how many alternative platforms are there? Um, everybody may not be able to uh, obtain information in English. Is there information available in Greece, in Greek language? Yes, there are many individuals, Makias Stigifilidis, uh, who used to be, well, he's still a very well-known journalist, and uh, anchor, and he has uh, come out on the side of uh, the opponents and he interviews uh, people. Um, he interviewed a young 30-year-old uh, sportsman, capoeira uh, fighter, who 10 days after his uh, first dose uh, uh, got massive problems. He suffered from tremolo. His legs uh, couldn't support him anymore. And he was healed in that kind of way. And he went public. But there are too few. They're all individuals, very um, laudable. But there's no organization yet to organize it all. There is no corona committee. Right? Let's ask Professor Kazimatis. Professor Kazimatis, you have most experience, you're so old that you can even remember very well the anti-democratic conditions um, 
that existed in Greece in the past. What you see now, is that comparable to what you experienced back then? Well, you can uh, see someone in person, and you can uh, people can. I thought I could talk to them in Greek. Well, the question was, uh, what uh, are the uh, what is equivalent between the situation today and the junta, the period of the junta, in the back in the 60s and 70s? What's similar? Well, the difference uh, on the public in uh, Europe and Greece is back then everybody uh, across Greece would demonstrate when um, even a slight in, um, infraction of the uh, constitution occurred. Now, we have a memorandum dating from 2012, and we saw that everything that is being done is unconstitutional and um, illegal. And nevertheless, we never saw such demonstrations. We had big demonstrations at the time of the memorandum, i.e., between twenty twenty, uh, uh, between two thousand. Sorry, between twenty twenty and uh, now. Now we have smaller demonstrations. But we have a demonstration all over Greece every day, even though they're smaller demonstrations. Back then, demonstrations always had an impact. Today, well, we all know that the influence is very, the impact is very weak. So we can say today that the governments are happy today if there are demonstrations because it helps them because people can then express and vent their anger 
And we all know today that this type of uh, resistance has no impact at, at all anymore. So to uh, briefly translate it, that uh, the government channels certain um, demonstrations, allows them so that people can actually vent their frustrations. Exactly, yes, yes. And um, we know that now. People know that. And um, that's a reason why people Uh, we remember the time of demonstrations and the resistance to German occupation, as well as from the time of the junta, of the dictatorship. It had been all but forgotten, but it is uh, waking up again, it's re being resurrected now, and a lot of people are beginning to think that without any sacrifice, of their own best interests, there will be no um, resistance will be successful. Do you think that the situation, the condition and the junta times were worse than what we are experiencing today in the corona regime or is it the opposite that what we see today is worse than what happened at the time? Well, today people believe, and I share this view, that today's situation is much worse. Also, compared to the period of the racist uh, occupation, because back then, what affects everybody now, The uh, enemy back then only affected one generation, but now, uh, but they left the older generation alive. With these methods today, are much worse than back in the fascist period, because the they kill the personality of many generations. And this is why today's crisis is much more dangerous for humanity, for people, and for our people. Now, Greece is the birthplace and the cradle of democracy. The Greeks know this. They know that they uh, have a really important legacy to protect. <clears throat> Well, of course, in Greece, we have the knowledge that the principle of democracy, the principle of freedom of personal freedom is most powerful. That has been a characteristic for Greece since antiquity. And this is why 
there was a vote in 2015, the majority were in favor of the country's freedom. It's not so much a question of democracy, but of freedom. And this is why our outlook since 2010, since the beginning of the memoranda, we have always been convinced, many people, myself and many others, that the fight could not be fought along party lines, but that we have to form a common front across all parties, because the political parties always have an ideology or a um, party policy agenda. And it won't um, represent all the people as a whole. In Greece, you have, <clears throat> since the repressions of the EU, you noted that the country is uh, uh, robbed and global corporations have the yes. power. Is that right? Is that the freedom that the Greeks see that they have to fight for? Yes. <clears throat> and the people know that we are now suffering from violence, from economic violence exerted by big business coming through the EU and uh, the U.S. leading to economic and political um, ill-liberty, lack of freedom, and we are well aware of this. This is why we had an application by the Greek uh, Industrial Union a request that politicians now need to lend a helping hand in restructuring the economic system. They said it quite openly. Most Greeks know that these measures are very damaging to our health and our economic system, and many others are measures that have no reason other than the restructuring of the economic system. So that means most of the Greeks understand, well, I'm asking, they understand that this is not about health, but it is about economic power exerted by the corporations via the EU and the US. Is that right? Yes. <clears throat> Everybody knows now, even though people are still partisan, they're still um, party goers, which is bad. 
either uh, it doesn't matter who's governing we will still have the same policy because that is required by the international economic system i would like to ask professor vatiotis do you share that view professor vatiotis that the greeks understand that this is not about health but economic power exerted by the eu and the us against the greeks Hello from Athens, Dr. Filmich. I'm uh, sorry that I can't be with you. I'd say that 30% of the Greek have understood what's happening here. I don't know if it would be helpful if I um, spend the next 10 minutes to tell you <coughs> What is the current status? Yes, please. Okay. Well, then let me start by saying something about myself. 17 years ago, I was appointed professor of criminal law at the Faculty of Law of Komitini. That's a small town on the border to Turkey. However, since the beginning of the corona measures in March 2020, I no longer saw myself as a professor, but as a digital shepherd who had to teach criminal law to the student heard online and consequently under surveillance. Under such non-university circumstances, a complaint was filed by an alleged student who accused me of propagating against the coronavirus and spreading fake news. The head of the Criminal Law Institute then called me and told me that under these conditions I would not be allowed to give my lecture program for the next day. The topic of my lecture was consent with the dangerous enterprise of mass vaccination. Because of the student complaint, the topic was too dicey, he said. But of course, the coronavirus is virtually uh, totemic. It's uh, idolatrated. Thereupon I replied to the head of the Criminal Law Institute that obviously freedom of speech was no longer guaranteed. The following day I announced my resignation live on a radio program. I wanted to publicly demonstrate to my compatriots what was hidden behind the democratic facade of university politics. Most importantly, I wanted to prompt my compatriots to dynamically oppose the corona measures. If a professor of criminal law resigns because he sees that democratic institutions are not working, then this step might give some of the population food for thought. At least that's what I hoped. My resignation, however, had not provided the impetus I had hoped for. Neither of colleagues of mine resigned, nor of students protested against the measures. As far as the schools are concerned, parents have agreed to online classes and accepted that their children go to school with a muzzle, watch classes, mass for hours, 
and later submit to a self-test. Since the new school year at the beginning of September, even twice a, ye- a week. Overall, the Greeks have complied with the draconian measures with iron discipline. We had to wear a mask everywhere from October 2020 and for about six months. And in some cases, for example, in church, we had to wear two masks. Send an SMS to leave the house. Curfew from 9 p.m. So a strict, strict lockdown. If the Greeks were still considered disobedient in the, in the 80s, now they strictly followed any measure. This, I believe, can be explained as follows. First, the Greeks have lost their nerve because of 10 years of shock fiscal policy in the context of the debt crisis. They are focused on working hard to be able to feed their families. Most cannot pay the heavy fines for ignoring the measures. Second, many Greeks, especially the elderly, sit in front of a TV during the day and night. Thus, they're exposed to the daily propaganda poison, i.e. the corona terror, that the media spread. Their main goal is to soften the Greek population so that the authorization, the authoritarian state can easily manipulate an obedient society. It must be emphasized that the current Greek government controls all public and almost all private broadcasters, as well as the vast majority of the press. That is why a totalitarian state has been established in Greece. I often speak Um, of a health dictatorship. The following must also be taken into account here. There is no public discussion in the media about the uh, measures taken by the government to manage the health crisis, let alone about the constitutionality of compulsory vaccination. On the contrary, experts in the field of medicine or law appear every day to promote the draconian measures, especially the compulsory medical interventions, especially vaccination and mandatory vaccination. Professor Vatsinaxis, my teacher at the University of Athens, is a shining uh, exception. A few days ago, even a state medical association announced that any doctor who advocates unscientific theses violates violates the Hippocratic Oath. But since we live in a topsy-turvy world, unscientific means the opposite, i.e. scientific. At the same time, an appeal is made to the public prosecutor's office to investigate against the spreading of fake news. All scientists are simple citizens who are very skeptical about the vaccination procedure because of the fear of the effect of the experimental vaccine, are scorned as opponents of vaccination or as nutty people. In the universal terminology of the corona propagandism, the term covidiots is familiar. 
the majority of judges, the public prosecutors, the lawyers and the priests constantly advertise for the vaccination, even with the following fallacious argument. Every citizen has the duty to stand by the others in solidarity and to stretch out his arm, i.e. to be vaccinated. Thus, the citizen is presented as a soldier who has to participate in the war against the invisible enemy in order to make his own accumulation contribution to herd immunity. That's actually an unrealistic dream. So when the citizen dies from the side effects of the experimental vaccine, his fellow citizens are supposed to honor him as a hero. After all, as a citizen soldier, he has behaved responsibly and fulfilled his moral duty of sacrifice at his own peril. But this is nonsense. The sore point of this argumentation is the following. Not only the agreement of the um, vaccination recipient is not free of uh, manipulation, uh, threat of a new lockdown, mandatory vaccination, lack of information, etc. Nobody must be obliged to risk his own life and serve as a guinea pig in order to increase the presumed probability that his fellow citizens will remain immune to the virus. The false argument of the vaccination propagandists about the alleged mobilization of citizens in the fight against the invisible enemy helps us to understand that the fairy tale of the pandemic is a modified copy of an older fairy tale, which again had as its subject an invisible enemy, namely the terrorist group Al-Qaeda. After the attack on the Twin Towers, global lawmakers introduced draconian anti-terror legislation aimed at eliminating every kind of terrorists, even those who were simply suspects. One was even allowed to torture prisoners suspected of terrorism in order to obtain the desired information. In this framework, there was talk of preventive or good torture. The same thing is happening in the time of the health crisis. In order to eliminate the new invisible enemy, i.e. the coronavirus, even as a suspected case, draconian legislation has been produced worldwide. To use a metaphor, terrorism and pandemic are children of the same parents caught up in a security mania. But beware, the security child of March 11, 2020 is more brutal than the first child of September 11, 20, uh, 2001. Now, there is no need to rack one's brain over the appropriate dosage of security and freedom because security in the form of health has absolute priority. So. Security above all. Civil rights have been uh, degraded 
to a negligible quantity. Human dignity and freedom are now negligible, invisible, because of the invisible enemy. This is a central thesis of my last monograph entitled From Terrorism to Pandemic, published in August and already out of print. As part of this zero-tolerance policy, a totalitarian law was passed on the 12th of July, according to which health personnel had until August 15 or September the 1st to get vaccinated. Otherwise, they would be suspended from duty and without any pay. This is reminiscent of uh, uh, the brothers Karmanov, uh, Dostoevsky. What uh, freedom is it if uh, obedience is bought with bread? Only three days before the deadline, the government announced the exemptions from the vaccination requirement. Almost all of the reasons for not being vaccinated were related to side effects, however, that appeared after the first dose of vaccine. In addition, the employee had to submit a detailed export report under enormous time pressure, which served as proof of causality of the side effect. So these exemptions from mandatory vaccination were a useless hypocritical gift. In the meantime, all physicians who have their own practice must also be vaccinated. As for the rest of society, at the moment there are discussions about extending compulsory vaccination to other groups of the population, for example, to military or judicial personnel. Incidentally, all citizens must submit proof of vaccination in order to be allowed to enter enclosed spaces such as restaurants. And in many other cases, many other areas, citizens are allowed to exercise their freedoms, such as going to the dentist, only if they have been tested. However, there are now areas where testing is not enough, because there is this terrible 2G rule applies. The most recent example comes from my own field. A few days ago, a criminal conference was held only for vaccinated or recovered people. Conclusion, in Greece, there is in fact a general indirect vaccination mandate. All this, despite the fact that in Groom, the Greek Bioethics Commission published an opinion according to which mandatory vaccination must be the ultimate means employed, that is, the last resort, applying epidemiological criteria in conjunction with the principle of proportionality, a principle that was blatantly neglected during the corona crisis. What is happening today when the totalitarian law has been enforced for a few weeks Top physicians who do not want to be vaccinated are not allowed to provide their valuable services to sick people. As a result, hospitals are weakened, not only quantitatively, but also qualitatively. 
There are quite a few cases of doctors sitting on a bench outside the hospitals and advising sick people there. But there are also other dramatic cases of employees who have a family with several children and now do not get their wages. This is the Greek state today, which supposedly cares about the common good and the security of its citizens. Laughable. Now, the plausible question arises, since the Greeks are on the one hand strongly traumatized because of the financial policy of the last decade, and on the other hand strongly terrorized because of the health policy, and since so many experts have been silent for uh, 18 months, although they knew that the health measures are in gross disproportion to the potential of the virus, can we hope that Greece, i.e. the cradle of democracy, as Mr. Fumich has said, will soon stand up and become an example to the other countries? Or should another country provide the impetus so that Greece can follow? There is a wonderful German saying, the darkest hour is just before dawn. This saying can also be linked to, a, to another phenomenon. A wife who had been systematically abused for years finally managed, albeit belatedly, to break the previous face of so-called learned helplessness and end the cycle of violence. <coughs> the likeness does not come by chance. Many Greeks who had themselves vaccinated despite misgivings feel like raped people after the vaccination. That's what psychologists who counsel such people tell us. Obviously, the same is true for the other countries. So at some point there comes a critical moment when a straw breaks the camel's back. There are several factors accumulated that put enormous pressure on Greek society. First factor, the vulgar coercion attempt against the citizen to renounce his right to self-determination while... May I say something? Because I have two people here. Do you... We have... Uh, they have to leave, unfortunately. I'm, I'm done in a minute. In one minute. Well, first factor, the vulgar coercion attempt against the citizen. Second factor, the deprivation of freedom and human dignity of all the unvaccinated who must feel like second-class citizens. Today, we're witnessing the return to the sociological phenomenon of exclusion. Third factor, a quasi-starvation of professional groups of vaccination skeptics who are... Uh, subject to a uh, vaccination mandate. So if Greeks remain resistant, the government is likely to make a critical mistake. To this mistake, an efficient reaction of the abused people is likely. People are quite angry. The Greek Prime Minister, Mr. Takis, who 
blackmails people into vaccinations has been called scum a few days ago. This is the result of accumulated fear and frustrations. Maybe this hour is very close to uh, for Greece. Thank, Thank you. you, Professor Vaitudis. Uh, that was very, very impressive, I have to say. Very impressive. Thank you, Mr. Filmich. Dr. Filmich. Uh, Dr. Filmich, do you... I have two civil servants from our hospital with me. Would you like to talk to them? Because, unfortunately, they have to leave. They only speak Greek. No problem, Pan can translate, I think. Uh, summarizing, of course. Who are the two? It's Stonos Karos. He is an IT person in the hospital. What can he what? tell us? He is very happy to see your work on this panel here, and he is just as many others are of the same opinion that this crisis can be addressed via the internet as it is global and my uh, comment or his comment is uh, it's uh, very well orchestrated and that is why we have to use the internet in order to be as effective And he and a series of colleagues of him from all different areas in the hospital have decided to not get their payment and uh, renounce everything that they used to benefit from in order to not be subjected to the pressure of vaccination to not be vaccinated and to evade evade the pressure and the goals which are behind this 
αυτά. Είναι δίπλα μου, θα σας πει μερικά πράγματα ακόμα και ο υπεύθυνο, ο εκπρόσωπος όλου του προσωπικού του νοσοκομείου Κιθήρων. This is the uh, HR council of the hospital who is going to talk to us. Εγώ είμαι πρόεδρο των εργαζομένων στο νοσοκομείο Κιθήρων. Είμαι μέλο του Συμβουλίου του Νοσοκομείου. Είμαι νοσηλευτή. Είμαι υπεύθυνο επιτήρηση λοιμόξεων. Δουλεύω 25 χρόνια στο νοσοκομείο. He has been active for 25 years, not only being the works council, but he has a medical training as well. And he is also working in the infection ward of the hospital. Όλο το πρόβλημα της εδώ και 19 μήνες το τραβήξαμε εμείς στην ουσία εγώ το, το περισσότερο και οι υπόλοιποι. Και τώρα έχουμε τεράστιο πρόβλημα στο νοσοκομείο. Ε, λοιπόν, έχουν φύγει με αναστολή ε, γιατροί. Έχει μείνει, έχουν μείνει από μία ειδικότητα. Ο καθένας τώρα είναι αυτή τη στιγμή μονές ειδικότητες στο νοσοκομείο. Ένας παθολόγος κλπ. Πόσα ε, το φύγανε. Το, αυτοί, από το δικό μας νοσοκομείο το 30%. 30% of the people are already out of service in the health of the health staff. Why is that? That is because of the measures. The um, if they refrain from getting vaccinated, the uh, legal situation requires them to be suspended from service, or they have to take unpaid holiday. But that would mean the service, the system will collapse. Yes, and this this is happening. Massive problems in hospitals. Only the most necessary things are done. There is only one doctor per ward. So one doctor for each specialist area. So what is the um number of patients are there many patients for corona or vaccination problems so that we see bottlenecks there τους ασθενείς υπάρχουν πολύ ασθενείς εκεί και πολύ λίγοι νοσηλευτές και γιατροί υπάρχουν τόσο μεγάλες δυσκολίες αυτή τη στιγμή αυτή τη στιγμή έχει περάσει το καλοκαίρι που είναι το φόρτε του νησιού αλλά δεν πάει να είναι γιατί το προσωπικό που είναι επαρκή δεν μπορεί ούτε άδεια να πάρει έτσι κι αλλιώς έχουν αναστολή και οι άδειες, αλλά δεν μπορεί ούτε οι γιατροί να φύγουν πλέον ούτε να πάρουν άδεια έστω και μια μέρα. Γιατί το νοσοκομείο εφημερεύει 30 μέρες το μήνα, 365. Δεν υπάρχει άλλο νοσοκομείο, είναι ένα. Καλύπτει όλο το νησί. This is the only hospital on Kifera that reaches an island and they are really down so much uh, they can't the people who work there can't take holidays they can't take leave so it's not like it was in summer the summer is over and um, people are not as sick as they are normally in summer but the situation is dramatic in as much as the overload and the workload 
the excessive workload for the staff and if there is a percentage of people falling sick, uh, they will have to close the hospital. Oh dear, oh dear. Is there any findings that the attitude in this hospital is representative? So 30% of the staff drop out. Is that uh, representative for the rest of Greece? Do you know of that? Είστε σε συνεννόηση και με άλλα νοσοκομεία της χώρας. Μήπως είναι η κατάσταση η δική σας αντίστοιχη με αυτή και των άλλων νοσοκομείων ή είσαστε εσείς χειρότεροι. Εμείς, επειδή είμαστε μικρό νοσοκομείο, τα άτομα είναι πολύ... Δεν έχουμε, είναι μεγάλος αριθμός ατόμων, αλλά δεν έχουμε την ίδια δουλειά που έχουν τα, μεγάλα, τα υπόλοιπα νοσοκομεία. Εσάς κανάτε δηλαδή σε εισαγωγικά καλύτερα από ό,τι άλλα νοσοκομεία στη χώρα. Φυσικά όλο το χρόνο. Εμείς το καλοκαίρι ζοριζόμαστε πιο πολύ, αλλά δεν πάβει να έχουμε περιστατικά και να μην μπορούν να τα αντιμετωπίσουν αυτή τη στιγμή σωστά. Οκ, ας δούμε το πρέσβητατη. They don't have the problems that other hospitals have because the capacity is different and they also don't have to provide facilities for certain areas which others have. So the others are worse off. Does that mean that other hospitals, if so many people don't take part, 30% is a lot, does that mean that there is also the same figure, 30% are not doing it and the situation is worse or is there fewer people that do not participate or drop out? Έχεις γνώση μήπως εάν στα άλλα τα νοσοκομεία η κατάσταση είναι χειρότερη θα επιδεινωθεί, θα επιδεινωθεί και στο μέλλον και πόσους νομίζεις, πόσοι νομίζεις ότι θα είναι αυτοί οι οποίοι στο, στην πάροδο τώρα του στενού χρόνου θα αντιδράσουν σε, αυτές τις, σε αυτά που απαιτεί η κυβέρνηση. Ε, στα υπόλοιπα νοσοκομεία, σε όλη την Ελλάδα, επειδή ε, μιλάμε με όλα τα νοσοκομεία, σαν ποσοστό είναι μικρότερο, αλλά είναι μεγαλύτερα τα προβλήματα που δημιουργούνται στα νοσοκομεία. Ε, έχουν αναβληθεί χειρουργία και σε μας το ίδιο. Ε, οι μονάδες εντατικής θεραπείας αρχίζουν και υπολειτουργούν, κλείνουν κλινικές, συγχωνεύονται τμήματα, ε, φέρνουν εξωτερικούς συνεργάτες ε, ιδιώτες για να καλύψουν τα κενά που δημιουργούνται, αλλά δεν είναι εύκολα να καλυφθούν ούτε στο νοσηλευτικό προσωπικό, ούτε στο ιατρικό, με τρίμηνες συμβάσεις. Οι άλλες νοσοκομείες in the recent past, they had to uh, merge hospitals, merge wards, or external staff was brought in for to, to cover the peaks, and the peaks are permanent at the moment. 
So the overall situation in the health system in Greece is incomparable to Kitera. Kitera is doing better. But this is incredible to see now that these ideas of the uh, merging hospitals and this uh, bleed out and uh, uh, fusing uh, hospitals to very few uh, apparently uh, in Greece by this activity now seems to uh, be started. Yes. Yes, um, I assume that I understood this correctly, saying that it's not the owners or the management of the hospitals who do that for economic reasons, but they do it because of the necessity um, um, on behalf of the doctors and the nurses to do more than they have to because there is a lack of staff. As many uh, many many uh, staff medical staff in uh, in Greece uh, refused to serve or exited service must be eight nine thousand I don't know the figure precisely so however uh, it is a big gap that we see here and the medical staff, and the professionality of the staff are keeping it up still, thanks to their great work, really. Um, the awards were merged on the basis to organize things on their own behalf in order to be able to treat the patients that came in. So this is uh, just due to the effort of the remaining staff that uh, are keeping things up can one see the causality what's this going to be replaced by if the system collapse or is it not going to be replaced by anything uh, do they want to have the people fall sick and die or what may i ask an ancillary question in this context we can see it here in germany that in this so-called pandemic the number of uh, icu beds has been closed in Germany, even though there's a huge uh, demand for them and an emergency. We can also see that staff were uh, quarantined, so we can see that these measures created an emergency that isn't there, really. And on, at the same time, we can see the plans that uh, Berensmann and other uh, large uh, company corporations are planning that many hospitals are to be closed, that the hospital landscape is to be restructured. Now we can see the interest of the large hospital uh, groups and um, the closure of uh, hospitals, communal hospitals, um, small hospitals are being closed. And in Greece, you have a similar uh, landscape, uh, municipal uh, hospitals that are being starved. Then you have luxurious private hospitals uh, could it be uh, that uh, all of this is a deregulatory measure? Uh, as Milton Friedman uh, said so typically, deregulation by uh, abuse of an uh, emergency. Yes, market radicality. So a collapse, a targeted, deliberate collapse of the health system 
for the yes, help exactly. of the benefit of the private health corporations. Καταργήσει πάνω από 7.000 κρεβάτια στη ΜΕΘ σε όλα τα νοσοκομεία. Έχουν κλείσει νοσοκομεία εν ώρα πανδημίας το 2020 και τώρα. Κλείνοντας αυτά τα νοσοκομεία ανέπτυξε φυσικά το κατεστημένο και την, την κρίση αυτή που δίθεν υπάρχει. Την ανέπτυξε τουλάχιστον θεωρητικά και στατιστικά. Ε, με τον σκοπό ο οποίος είναι πίσω από αυτό ε, που λέγεται ε, ε, νεοκλασική ε, ιδιωτικοποίηση της, της υγείας δηλαδή στη Γερμανία ε, 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 φεύγει το κράτος, φεύγει το δημόσιο από την ε, υγειονομία και το παραδίδει στους ιδιώτες Μήπω έχετε την εντύπωση ότι και στην Ελλάδα γίνεται κάτι. Ακριβώ, ακριβώ αυτό γίνεται. Το σκλάχια 8 ότι μου έχει λάμπη. Το ίδιο πάει στην Ελλάδα. Και μετά βλέπουμε τι ίδιε στρατιώτε παντού. Λοιπόν, πείτε του να ευχαριστήσουμε του δύο για τι ευκαιρίε του. Και πιστεύω ότι δεν θα πρέπει να ευκαιρίσουμε από κάποιο ρίσκο. Και γι' αυτό πρέπει να ευχαριστήσουμε για αυτέ Είχατε πάρος μάρτυρα σήμερα και καλό μέλλον. Ευχαριστούμε πολύ. Να είστε καλά. Γεια σας. Και γιατί σαν μένα... So now, Pan, we still have Dr. Sotriazis and we have an epidemiologist from Cyprus. Professor Sotriazis, the epidemiologist from the University of Cyprus. Who has the contact with John Ioannidis? Pan, can you ask him, Pan? Can you ask him if he can subscribe to this conclusion by Wolfgang that in Greece, and I suspect that it's no different in Cyprus, at the end of the day, the public health infrastructure is supposed to be destroyed for the benefit of a health care system taken over by private groups. Την ελληνική και τη γερμανική υγειονομία, α πούμε έτσι, γενικά και για την Κύπρο, θέλουν και εκεί την κρατική μέρημνα να την μεταφέρουν σε ιδιώτε και σε πολυεθνικέ επιχειρήσει. Ναι, ναι, συμφωνώ με αυτό που λέτε ότι υπάρχει. ένας μεγάλος κίνδυνος τα δημόσια νοσοκομεία να καταλήξουν σε χέρια ιδιωτών τα επόμενα χρόνια. Ήδη αντιμετωπίζουν τα δημόσια νοσοκομεία αρκετά προβλήματα και με τις νέες ρυθμίσεις και νομοθεσίες που είχαν ψηφιστεί τα προηγούμενα χρόνια αυτός ο κίνδυνος να 
πουληθούν τα δημόσια νοσοκομεία και να καταργηθεί η δημόσια υγεία είναι ορατός. On the whole, he agrees to see that development in Greece as well. That is also apparent in the change of the legal system uh, to the benefit of those who are making the profits now and the drop of investments in public service, public health services. <clears throat> he is an epidemiologist. Our uh, view is, and we heard this from by uh, Gnut Wisconski from New York, another epidemiologist, that we are not faced with a true epidemiological crisis here, but that the um, risk level of the virus is roughly equivalent to uh, a flu virus. <coughs> um, do you agree with this? Είπε ο κύριο Φίλμιχ, είσαστε και εσεί ο ίδιο τη γνώμη ότι δεν πρόκειται για επιδημία, επικίνδυνη επιδημία, αλλά περισσότερο ω μία γρήπη όπω τη γνωρίζουμε. Με βάση τα στοιχεία που έχει δημοσιεύσει και ο καθηγητή κύριο Ιωαννίδη, φαίνεται ότι τόσο η νοσηρότητα όσο και η θνητότητα από αυτόν τον κορονοϊό προσομιάζει με τα δεδομένα που έχει και γνωρίζουμε εδώ και τόσα χρόνια ο ιός της γρίπης. Μάλιστα είναι γνωστό ότι ο κορονοϊός παρουσιάζει μικρότερη σχετικά επικινδυνότητα στα παιδιά και στη μέση ηλικία σε σχέση με τον ιό της γρίπης, ίσως να παρουσιάζει μια κάπως μεγαλύτερη επικίνδυνοτητα για τις πολύ μεγάλες ηλικίες άνω των 75 ετών. Mm. Σε γενικές γραμμές όμως πιστεύω ότι ο ιός αυτός έχει ένα παρόμοιο επιδημικό και νοσογόνο προφίλ όπως και ο ιός της γρήπης. The lethality and mortality of this sickness, let's call it epidemic, is similar to a seasonal flu and that it is not any risk for children, not at much risk for the healthy people, for the middle-aged also the same applies as a normal seasonal flu, only that the coronavirus, this coronavirus and its mutants are a bit more contagious than uh, for vulnerable and elderly people. Well, then there's no reason for the vaccination, then for vaccination mandates anyway, as they're being pro um, proposed here, or do you disagree? και γιατρός ότι το εμβόλιο αυτό είναι αναγκαίο. Η γνώμη μου για τα εμβόλια την έχω παραθέσει σε διάφορες παρεμβάσεις τόσο σε εφημερίδες όσο και σε κανάλια που με έχουν καλέσει αν και πολύ περιορισμένα στον αριθμό. Ουσιαστικά έχω αξιολογήσει τα εμβόλια που είναι διαθέσιμα και ε, θεωρώ ότι 
Η τεχνολογία που χρησιμοποιούν ασφαλώς, όπως όλοι γνωρίζουν, είναι μια νέα τεχνολογία για την οποία δεν γνωρίζουμε πολλά πράγματα. Είναι μια τεχνολογία η οποία έχει χρησιμοποιηθεί στο πολύ πρόσφατο παρελθόν για να χορηγηθούν κάποια παρόμοια εμβόλια σε ζώα και έχει δώσει αρκετές έχει προκαλέσει αρκετές παρενέργειες στα ζώα και έχει αναφερθεί ότι αυξάνει την πιθανότητα εμφάνισης αυτοάνωσων νοσημάτων. A, a, a clear yes and a clear no. I, I don't hear both either, but I do hear that this new technology, which uh, he calls it, this very new technology is very new in humane medicine. It is not so in animal or veterinary medicine. And uh, in the past, it was found that it has a very high rate of mortality with strong side effects in animals. I forgot what else he said. Αυτά τα εμβόλια φαίνεται ότι αυξάνουν την πιθανότητα αυτοάνωσων νοσημάτων. But there is a peculiarity here in this vaccinations that the immune system is affected in such a massive way that it builds up a, a, an autoimmune reaction that um, prevents the immune body to uh, the immune system to attack any other sickness as it could in the other ways well έχουν γενετικό υλικό το οποίο για πρώτη φορά χορηγείται στον άνθρωπο και γι' αυτό το λόγο δημιουργείται αρκετή ανησυχία σε σχέση με τις μεσοπρόθεσμες και μακροπρόθεσμες πιθανές παρενέργειες. Είναι γνωστό πως αυτά τα γονιδιώματα που είναι σε αυτό το εμβόλιο σε εισαγωγικά επηρεάζει ποια όργανα, πού πηγαίνει, πού συσσωρεύεται, ποια ε. είναι τα συμπτώματα, όλα αυτά που τώρα γενικά έχουμε μάθει ότι υπάρχουν. Ναι, είναι τα, αυτά... το, το γενετικό υλικό που περιέχουν τα εμβόλια ε, ουσιαστικά εισέρχεται στο κύτταρο είτε στο εσωτερικό του κυτάρου, είτε ακόμα και στο εσωτερικό του πυρήνα του κυτάρου ε, για μερικά από αυτά τα εμβόλια Αυτά που περιέχουν δηλαδή το DNA γενετικό υλικό και ενσωματώνεται στο γενετικό υλικό των ανθρώπινων κυττάρων. Είναι γνωστό επίσης ότι αυτά τα εμβόλια δεν έχουν ειδικότητα όσον αφορά την είσοδο σε συγκεκριμένα κύτταρα και ιστούς του σώματος. Με την χορήγηση του εμβολίου αυτό το γενετικό υλικό μπορεί να εισέλθει πρακτικά σε όλα τα κύτταρα του σώματος. Παντού. Γι' αυτό άλλωστε και έχουν καταγραφεί παρενέργειες σχεδόν από όλα τα συστήματα του ανθρώπινου σώματος. This vaccination substance, mRNA and mainly the DMA-based vaccines, can trespass the cell membrane and even the skin of the cell nucleus 
That is why I asked the question, what organs are affected if that is known? And the answer is that all the organs can be affected. These proteins, the genetic material can affect everything, wherever, that's my interpretation, the blood takes it. So, so any organ, any organ, as we've heard from many other uh, experts, and a final question, because we still have uh, Dr. Capatio with us. Is it correct that uh, John uh, Ioannidis, like other scientists, has uh, been uh, have been prejudiced due to their uh, critical um, viewpoints? έχουν λάβει πίεση από πολλές μεριές λόγω του ότι έχουν πει τα όλα αυτά που έχουν καταφέρει να μάθουν λόγω της επιστήμης τους πιέζονται από από κυκλώματα πιέζονται από εξωτερικά εκτός του 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 πανεπιστημίου παράδειγμα αν σας είναι αυτό γνωστό Έχω παρακολουθήσει μία παρέμβαση του καθηγητή Ιωαννίδη σε κανάλι, τηλεοπτικό κανάλι της Ελλάδος στο οποίο αναφέρθηκε σε τέτοιες πιέσεις. Αυτό το γνωρίζω και εγώ προσωπικά αλλά ξέρετε εσείς προσωπικά από άλλες άλλες αιτίες. Δεν γνωρίζω συγκεκριμένες περιπτώσεις άλλων πιέσεων. He doesn't know more than what the rest of the Greek public knows. Professor Giannidis was interviewed in a private TV station in Greece where he publicly talked about that he is, uh, experienced massive pressure he even used the word that they want to destroy him. Θα ήθελα επίσης να αναφέρω ότι είναι σχετικά με τα εμβόλια ότι είναι ιδιαίτερα ανισχυτικό το γεγονός ότι έχουν καταγραφεί τόσες πολλές χιλιάδες θάνατοι που πιθανόν να σχετίζονται με την λήψη αυτών των εμβολίων νέας τεχνολογίας. Ναι, αλλά πού έχουν καταγραφεί, επίσημα σε... Αυτά έχουν, αυτά έχουν καταγραφεί σε επίσημες ιστοσελίδες αναφοράς παρενεργειών τόσο της Αμερικής όσο και της Αγγλίας όσο και της Ευρωπαϊκής Ένωσης okay. για τις οποίες γνωρίζω και τις έχω μελετήσει. Okay. Respect to the vaccinations in the US, in Europe, and elsewhere, Wolfgang, you should be, should have access there. I know from my own experience that in Greece there is no such database for given reasons, so these cases are not reported as cases of vaccinations, but as Corona cases. And that is how they are, what they're called to. And 
apparently the figure of the people who die directly after getting the shot increases. I went to a, a Greek hospital with a neighbor um, who had an acute complication after a um, vaccination. It was the um, it was a sign of a um, impending um, complication. I mentioned this when I uh, took the patient to the hospital. The, the doctor spoke. Uh, German, um, that the intestinal rupture was uh, impending, and the doctor uh, insisted on the appropriate test to be performed, but it was insisted that it was an appendicitis, and it turned out to be an intestinal rupture. I had uh, requested histology to perform um, to find what was the cause. Um, so that wasn't done as well. So they want—they don't really want to look into this. Um, even the physicians who don't want to run into problems. I don't problems, know if you uh, said so, Wolfgang. The hospital was a vaccination center at the same time. Yes, yes. There was a huge queue uh, in the uh, vaccination department. Let me translate, please, so that. Uh, Perforation. <laughs> να μετρήσει τα διμέρε, τα διμέρε για τη θρόμβωση, η οποία ο οποίος ανήθηκε και μετά την μετά την εγχείρηση και την ιστολογία και εκείνη αρνήθηκε να την κάνει. Μάλιστα. Σε αυτό το ίδιο νοσοκομείο όμως υπήρχε και το κέντρο εμβολιασμού. Κατά την κατά την προσωπική μου άποψη τα δεδομένα που έχουμε μπροστά μας σήμερα από τις παρενέργειες και τους θανάτους τους πιθανολογούμενους ότι σχετίζονται με τα εμβόλια, αυτά τα δεδομένα θα έπρεπε να μας οδηγήσουν σε μια πάυση της χορήγησης των εμβολίων και σε μια εμπεριστατωμένη επιστημονική αξιολόγηση αυτών των δεδομένων, ώστε να κρίνουμε κατά πόσον θα πρέπει να συνεχίσουμε να χορηγούμε αυτά τα εμβόλια στους ανθρώπους ή κατά πόσον θα πρέπει να σταματήσουμε τη χορήγηση και να αναζητήσουμε άλλες μεθόδους αντιμετώπισης της επιδημίας. Ταυτόχρονος... Ποιος όμως θα ήταν αυτός που θα αντιμετώπιζε αυτή την κατάσταση, η, ε, ε, η νομική... Η, η, η επιστημονική κοινότητα, η επιστημονική ιατρική κοινότητα θα έπρεπε να ζητήσει την άμεση ε, αναστολή χορήγησης των εμβολίων και την αξιολόγηση των δεδομένων που έχουμε μπροστά μας μέχρι σήμερα ώστε να κρίνουμε κατά πόσον αυτά τα εμβόλια τελικά αποτελούν ένα χρήσιμο εργαλείο ή κατά πόσον θα πρέπει να αποσυρθούν από την αγορά. So the doctors and uh, any common sense operated person will ask to, for the doctors to stand up and uh, stop the vaccination because the 
mortality rate is increasing and the rate of severe side effects is uh, raising, but that would mean, and that's my uh, opinion, that the doctors' associations in Greece should do that. And they don't because they are public institutions and they're paid by the government. And there's uh, three, four people in Greece who are corona apologetics and uh, everyone has to do that for themselves. They're not going to do it. It would be important to register the number of uh, appendicitis. Acute appendicitis is the most uh, frequent uh, severe um, side effect, which happened twice as fast, twice as often with those vaccinated than with those who hadn't been vaccinated. It's mentioned as a severe complication with vaccinations. Is that in the uh, information? No, it's mentioned um, and it's said that it's not uh, so um, bad. Um, appendicitis is uh, quite frequent. There were 12 cases among those uh, vaccinated during this sh uh, short period of uh, monitoring and only three among those who were not vaccinated. Nevertheless, it keeps being mentioned. It's easy to uh, monitor. Appendicitis uh, is usually operated on, so it's very easy to differentiate, um, and you could simply uh, count whether it happens more frequently with those vaccinated than those not vaccinated. I don't think we should drift off too much into a detailed medical discussion here. Well, we're talking to a, an epidemiologist who is able to survey this. That's absolutely right, that but is, we can't have all of this translated because we've got the two... Right parents of somebody who died of a vaccination for half an hour and we have Dr. Katin Yu here with us and we would want to ask him, he's a psychiatrist and Greek Orthodox father. Mr. Fermi, may I say something um, by way of conclusion that I'll leave you? Then I'll say very quickly in Greek, and it can be translated then. Αυτό θέλει να δείχνει σαφώς 
ότι θέλει, την, θέλει να αλλάξει, να καταργήσει τα εστιατόρια, να καταργήσει τα, όπως το έκαμε και με, την, με, την, με, με όλα τα άλλα μέτρα, να καταργήσει τα καταστήματα για να μπουν όλα σε δίκτυα μεγάλων επιχειρήσεων. Τα εστιατόρια θα καταργηθούν, επειδή είπατε και προηγουμένως το ίδιο και για τα νοσοκομεία, θα καταργηθούν και θα αντικατασταθούν με, με, την, με την διανομή των φαγητών στα σπίτια και επίσης και με τα κέντρη. Mm. Ε, 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 και αυτό σημαίνει ότι αυτό θα το, μπορεί να το αναλάβει εύκολα μία εταιρεία για όλη την Ευρώπη. Αυτό... Ε, Professor Katsimatis basically said what I wrote yesterday, basically it's about the erosion of the Greek civil society. What uh, Professor uh, Sotiriadis uh, demands uh, will not happen in Greece, that the physicians or any other parts of society will rise. That's very unlikely to happen. It's about a uh, restructuring of Greek civil society in the sense of uh, allowing major corporations to take over small and medium-sized uh, companies, restaurants and uh, um, snack bars, etc. Not only those, of course. Um, um, uh, concentration is to um, be affected uh, with a focus on a few global players, transnational uh, groups that will then kill off all SMEs. That's a worldwide phenomena which I hope everybody will get uh, on this panel, at least the ones who are still um, uh, able to act. Uh, we are beyond the uh, sound, the, the uh, ultrasound bang of uh, impoliteness. So we have to cut you because um, the Goodmans are still waiting for a long time already. So um, I unfortunately... I, maybe we can hear him after uh, the parents. If he can hold, well, how long will the meeting take? Half an hour, maybe. Το ελεύθερο να μείνετε μισή ώρα ακόμα για να προλάβουν να μιλήσουν οι γονεί αυτών των παιδιών που πεθάνανε. Μισή ώρα περίπου θα κάνει. Είστε σύμφωνο, Εγώ. Ναι. Εγώ είμαι σύμφωνο. Δεν μιλήσατε μέχρι τώρα γι' αυτό και θα θέλαμε να μιλήσουμε. Είμαι απολύτω σύμφωνο. The Goodmans are saying we're okay to wait. So let's briefly. I, I would I would be very interested in hearing what the position of the church is in all of this. Uh, just let me very briefly uh, say for documentation that during this um, conversation with the epidemiologic uh, epidemiologists. Um, we have been deleted on YouTube in the in mid conversation. Genuanidis, who said uh, they want to destroy me, um, that's where we were deleted um, in the German version, at least. Um, Facebook is still working. The English 
channel is working. The website is down as well, so somebody's uh, really attacking us massively. We're being massively attacked, but that's not going to stop us. It just encourages us. So, uh, Dr. Carpaccio, what is... πρόβλημα και το μεγάλο λάθος. Εγώ έχω στείλει δύο ανοιχτές επιστολές προς την Ιερά Σύνοδο της Εκκλησίας της Ελλάδος και αναλύω ολόκληρο το πρόβλημα. Παρά τα αυτά όμως δυστυχώς επιμένουν σε μια αντιευαγγελική και αντιεκκλησιαστική πρακτική μέχρι σήμερα. Τους έχω στείλει κείμενα 40 σελίδων εξηγώντα μέσα από τη θεολογία αλλά και μέσα από την ιατρική, διότι όπως ε, ίσως γνωρίζετε, είμαι γιατρός, είμαι ψυχίατρος είναι και έχω και περιστατικά στο ιατρείο, ψυχιατρικά, τα οποία επιδεινώνονται και αν θα υπάρξει χρόνος, μπορώ να σας πω ορισμένα τα οποία έχω στείλει στην φάρμακοεπαγρύπνηση εδώ στην Ελλάδα. Δυστυχώς λοιπόν η διοίκηση και όχι η εκκλησία καθεαυτήν. Mm. Θέλω να σας πω ότι στο Άγιο Νόρος το 85% των μοναχών δεν έχουν εμβολιαστεί. Το 15% των μοναχών οι οποίοι έχουν εμβολιαστεί πρέπει να γνωρίζει κανείς ότι υπήρξαν ιδιαίτερα ισχυρές και σημαντικές πιέσεις και εκβιασμοί εκ μέρους της πολιτικής ηγεσία για να φτάσουν ακριβώς σε αυτό το σημείο. Well, within the Greek church, we have to make a distinction between uh, the clerics, i.e. the administration, the uh, bishops, synod, and the people's church. Those are two different areas you have to distinguish. And the church's administration is completely in line with the government, in line with this uh, social movement, and refuses any criticism. He himself um, uh, wrote more than 40 pages as a, a theologist and physician to prove that they are working in an anti-apostolic way, in an anti-church way, but they keep silent. There's a barrier in the Greek church, and um, let me add, there are numerous uh, priests like himself and two bishops who openly oppose the bishop synod and uh, the Archbishop of Greece and uh, they suffer from disciplinary action now. What does that mean? Well, uh, the uh, two bishops had to appear in, in front of the uh, synod 
and I um, read their uh, statements and they're very well argued. Um, you can't really uh, accuse them of anything. In their uh, bishopric, uh, in their bishopric there, um, king and emperor, basically, you uh, can't oppose them because uh, unless they do something anti-apostolic, uh, really. So pressure is rising, but priests are um, suspended uh, on uh, Atos, but we know only uh, there are only men, and 85% of priests, of monks, have not been vaccinated, and those 15% who got vaccinated <coughs> suffered severe pressure from politicians. Ευχαριστώ όλους και τον Dr. Φούρνεκ για την πρόσκληση να συμμετάσχω. Ήταν εξαιρετική. Δυστυχώς δεν μπορώ να συνεχίσω άλλο γιατί έχω άλλη υποχρεώση. Ευχαριστώ. ότι υπάρχουν πάρα πολλοί κληρικοί σε ολόκληρη την επικράτεια την ελληνική και κατά την περίοδο του εγκλισμού αλλά και μέχρι σήμερα οι οποίοι αγνοούν τα μέτρα της πολιτείας Το είπα ήδη, και... το είπα ήδη Το είπα ήδη, σας πρόλαβα Έτσι, ωραία, ωραία, πολύ σωστό Τώρα, η δική μου, εγώ έχω δύο οπτικές Η μία οπτική είναι η θεολογική και η άλλη οπτική είναι η ιατρική επειδή είναι μικρότερη η ιατρική οπτική την οποία αυτή τη στιγμή έχω υπόψη μου ως ψυχίατρος, ως άτομο, ως πρόσωπο το οποίο υπηρετώ, διακονώ την ιατρική επιστήμη θα ήθελα να σας πω ορισμένα στοιχεία ιατρικά τα οποία στο ιατρείο μου απάντησε. Βλέπουμε ακαριαία επιδείνωση αρχόμενης άνοιας μετά από το εμβόλιο άρση αναστολών λειτουργικής φύσεως χωρίς δηλαδή εγκεφαλικές θρομβώσεις Mm -hmm. Τρίτον, δεν ξέρω αν πρέπει να ερμηνεύετε γιατί σας... Ναι, θα, θα το κρατήσω όσο να είναι και μετά θα ρωτήσω αν ξεχάσω κάτι. Ωραία. Επιδείνωση εξεσημασμένη, πολύ έντονη, όσο νοσούν από ψυχιατρικά νοσήματα. Επί παραδείγματι, αυτό το σύνδρομο, είδα για πρώτη φορά το, το σύνδρομο της Μπέλλανδιφεράνους. Έχουμε mm. πρώιμη αφύπνιση και το είπε και ο κύριος Ελπιδοφόρος αυτό, ο Σωτηριάδης, νευροεκφυλιστικό νόσο Σχάιμερ, Πάρκισον, Πικ, Χάντικτον. Μια στιγμή. Μια στιγμή. Ως αναψυχιάτρου, From a medical point of view, as a psychiatrist, he can confirm that the cases of Parkinson's and Alzheimer are mounting. Um, also, psychological um, um, psychopathies um, are accumulating. It's not a um, vaccine booster, but also a disease booster. Που οφείλεται σε prions, που είναι αναδιπλωμένες πρωτεΐνες με την ικανότητα να μεταδίδουν το αναδιπλωμένο σχήμα τους σε κανονικές παραλλαγές της ίδιας πρωτεΐνης. Και αυτές οι prions, οι πρωτεΐνες αυτές, χαρακτηρίζουν πολλές μεταδοτικές νευροεκφυλιστικές 
Wolfgang, are you well of the? Are you aware of this illness called Kuru? Yes, yes I'm aware of it. Yes, I know it. Uh, he knows the many people who have this disease. That is a um, misbehavior of uh, proteins, as we know from BSE and bovine. Right. I think it's uh, originally from uh, anthropophic yes, uh, tribes from Papua New Guinea, so they uh, multiply. And these seem to be the symptoms are found in many patients at the moment. There are several publications uh, with similar reports. I can't really judge it. Thanks and send greetings to you, Wolfgang, for your Hellenism. And he is following the symptoms for, for three months. He's been observing this. Στην Επιτροπή Φαρμακοεπαγρύπνησης, ένα μέλος της Επιτροπής, ο καθηγητής, ο κύριος Παναγιώτης Βλάχο Γιαννόπουλος, παρετήθηκε και παρετήθηκε διότι δεν ήθελαν τα άλλα μέλη της Επιτροπής να δηλώσουν ως έχοντα, ε, ως, ε, ως έχουσα ε, χρονική συνάφεια, σε πρώτο χρόνο πάντα πρέπει να υπάρχει χρονική συνάφεια, mm. ο θάνατος μιας γυναίκας, οι θρομβώσεις και ο θάνατός της, με το εμβόλιο. Εμβολιάστηκε η γυναίκα, έγινε ακροτηριασμός και σε λίγες μέρες πέθανε, διότι οι θρομβώσεις εξαπλώθηκαν σε όλους ναι, τους γνωρίζω, Το γνωρίζω. Το γνωρίζετε ακριβώς. Και κατηγορεί, κατηγορεί ευθέως την Επιτροπή αυτή, την δε επομένη μέρα, ο Υπουργό τότε Υγείας, ο κύριος Κικίλιας, δήλωσε ότι δεν υπάρχει κανένας θάνατος mm. από το εμβόλιο. Δηλαδή, στέλνουμε τα περιστατικά τα οποία δεν αναγράφονται στις παρενέργειες των φαρμάκων είναι η κίτρινη κάρτα, όπως λέμε There is a commission, a medical commission or pharmacological commission, like in, other, in Greece, like in other countries, who, who monitor the side effects, which are not published, which are also not put in in the in the blurb and uh, so we had a case where a woman died one of these on one of these cases and one person of the commission immediately resigned because his colleagues did not want to establish the causality with the injection and a few days later, 
the Greek health minister addressed the public saying that this death of the woman is not related to the vaccination, although the time correlate was so close that there was no other conclusion possible. Αυτό θέλω με δύο λόγια να σα το καταθέσω. Yeah. Δεν με ενδιαφέρει αυτή τη στιγμή η σκοπιμότητα του εμβολίου και κυρίω η σκοπιμότητα των εμβολίων ξεκινάει από το εάν ο ιό είναι φυσικό ή συνθετικό. Το αφήνουμε στην άκρη, διότι είναι τέτοιο σχολιασμό προσκούρου σε πολιτικο-οικονομικά και ιδεολογικά και σε πολιτικο-οικονομικού και ιδεολογικού υφάλου. Ιδεολογικού εννοώ βεβαίω την προτιθέμενη εκ μέρους πολλών και διαφόρων, όπως και εσείς γνωρίζετε, μείωση του παγκόσμιου πληθυσμού. Ε, λοιπόν, ξεκινάω. Πρώτον, πού κτίστηκε το εμβόλιο. Σε ένα εργοτάξιο από ανθρώπινες κυταροσύρες, εκτροθέντες εμβρίου, εκτροθέντος εμβρίου, υγιούς εμβρίου, με εκλεκτική έκτρωση. Ναι, είναι γνωστό. Δηλαδή μόνο και μόνο για την έρευνα. Ναι, και μάλιστα με τη λεγόμενη ε, θηλιακή στερεκτομή. Το πρώτο σημείο ε, το οποίο, ε, στο οποίο σταματώ και για το οποίο θα σου πω στην έχεια μέσα από τη θεολογική έτσι, αντίληψη των πραγμάτων. Δεύτερο, αυτό το οποίο τονίστηκε, η χρήση νέων τεχνικών όπως το mRNA ή του viral vector που εισάγουν στο ανθρώπινο κύτταρο τοξική εκείνη και μάλιστα στο κύτταρο διότι τα προηγούμενα εμβόλια τι έκαναν, ενίοντο, εξεχύνοντο στο μεσοκυτάριο υγρό. Εδώ δεν έχουμε εμβόλιο με την κυριολεξία της λέξεως, αλλά γενετικό τροποποιητή. Πατήρ Στυλιανέ, είναι και τα δύο είναι γνωστά. Είναι ήδη κατεγραμμένα, έχουν υποθεί και από... Πολύ ωραία. Μπορώ να πω κάτι άλλο. Ναι, αν είναι τίποτα, όχι. Δεν Δεν εννοώ όχι να μην πείτε, να πείτε. Είναι κατανοητό. Να έχει σχέση και με με τον λαό και με τον κλήρο. Ακριβώς. Λοιπόν, επίσης θα ήθελα σε αυτό να σας προσθέσω, μπορεί να είναι γνωστό, αλλά εγώ ήθελα να το προσθέσω διότι με ενδιαφέρει ιδιαίτερα και ως ε, κληρικό και ως ψυχίατρο ότι ο Πολ Όφιτ του Νοσοκομείου Πρέδων της Φιλαδέρφειας των Ηνωμένων Πολιτειών σε συνέντευξη του ανέφερε ότι σε πολύ μικρές ποσότητες μέσα στο εμβόλιο υπάρχουν ίχνη DNA από εκείνες τις αρχικές εκτρώσεις στα εμβόλια. Mm, κατάλαβα. Κατάλαβατε. Uh, uh, ναι, ναι, oh. uh, yeah. uh, well, the fact that... Paul Uh, works in a clinic in Philadelphia who obviously found that um, the uh, vaccines uh, contain DNA traces of the uh, aborted fetuses from the first series that they were still there. They weren't only uh, included, um, inserted into this uh, mRNA uh, string in the sequence, but there were actually original traces of the fetuses there. Yes, αποδέχεται ότι υπάρχουν 
γενικώ διάφορα στοιχεία μέσα στα εμβόλια πέρα από το εμβόλιο. And WHO have confirmed that outside of what should be included in a vaccination, in a vaccine, um, other things are included, and I don't think they are impurities. We know there's a lot of substances in it of which we have only rudimentary knowledge. There is a lot more going to emerge in that respect. Do you have any specific question? Yes, any specific question? I would have a question. I'd like to know from the psychiatric uh, aspect of uh, Dr. Pacapaccio, uh, is he involved with people who address him because they are kind of depressed of uh, participating, although they see what's going on? Μιλάνε για αυτή την για αυτές αυτές τις περιπτώσεις οι οποίες τους φέρνουν φυσικά σε πολύ μεγάλη σε πολύ μεγάλο άγχος παθαίνουνε αυτό που παθαίνουνε κατάθλιψη είναι άνθρωποι οι οποίοι χρειάζονται τη βοήθεια του ιερέα. Ακούστε, επειδή εγώ λειτουργώ και ως ψυχιατρός και ως ιερέας, βεβαίως και ψυχιατρικά, αλλά και από την άλλη πλευρά υπαρξιακά οι άνθρωποι βρίσκονται σε τεντωμένο σημείο, όπως λέμε, στην Ελλάδα. Περισσότεροι από παλιά. Ε, πολύ περισσότεροι από παλιά. Okay. Εγώ προηγουμένως σας ανέφερα ορισμένα συμπτώματα τα οποία έχω εγώ υπόψη μου, αυτά τα οποία ε, με προκαλείτε, ας το πω έτσι, και με προσκαλείτε να σας πω, είναι πολύ περισσότερο, είναι τα ελάσσονα, είναι τα ξέρετε μικρά. Τι, ξέρετε τι, πατέρα Σιλένε, ξέρετε τι, είναι ένα τεράστιο θέμα αυτό, και θα παρακαλέσω τους δύο, τον Φίλμιχ και την Βίζα, να κάνουμε μια δεύτερη, ένα δεύτερο meeting τέτοιο και με άλλους γιατρούς, το πάντων, Βεβαίως. για όλα αυτά τα στοιχεία. Είναι σε πολλά σημεία κατεγραμμένα όλα τα συμπτώματα ή πολλά συμπτώματα, αλλά δεν, είναι κατεγρα... δεν, είναι, δεν υπάρχει αυτή η αναλογία. Και εγώ τα ξέρω τα συμπτώματα, αλλά δεν ξέρω την αναλογία. Πόσα από αυτά είναι σε πόσους, σε ποιες ηλικίε, σε, σε ποια κοινωνική κατηγορία βρίσκονται. Γιατί αυτοί που, έχουν, που είναι εύποροι αλλιώς αντιμετωπίζουν τέτοιου είδους προβλήματα από τους πολύ φτωχού. Αυτοί οι οποίοι είναι εύποροι συνήθως τρέχουν να κάνουν το εμβόλιο διότι έχουν την αίσθηση της υπερεπάρκειας, της ασφάλειας για τον εαυτό τους. Αλλά θα τα δουν τα πράγματα από την αντίστροφη. Mm. Αυτό, είναι, αυτό είναι το πραγματικό. Εμείς όμως, επειδή ζούμε, καταρχάς αντιστεκόμαστε σε όλους τους γιατρούς πλέον, για όλους τους γιατρούς, είτε ιδιώτες, είτε νοσοκομιακούς, υπάρχει ένας πρόσφατος νόμος σύμφωνα με τον οποίο νόμο θα πρέπει να εμβολιαστούν διαφορετικά, είναι υποχρεωμένοι να κλείσουν περιακλία τους. Εμείς είμαστε υποχρεωμένοι λοιπόν σε αυτό να αντισταθούμε οποιοδήποτε προσωπικό κόστος και από εκεί και πέρα να ενισχύσουμε τους ανθρώπους. Και ξέρετε, υπάρχουν πολλοί άνθρωποι και μέσα από την Εκκλησία και άνθρωποι οι οποίοι δεν έχουν άμεση, συνειδητότερη θα το έλεγα σχέση με την Εκκλησία, οι οποίοι έρχονται και προσκολώνται στους ιερείς για να στηριχθούν μπροστά σε όλα αυτά τα προβλήματα 
τα οποία εμφανίστηκαν αυτό τον καιρό κυρίως με, τις, με τους εμβολιασμούς. The numbers are increasing. Um, there are many more who approach the priests who uh, are uh, feel very much under pressure, um, not only personally but also because of uh, social pressure, family pressure. Even people go to the priests who went to church uh, for the last time decades ago, never even went to church. And that's uh, how far it went that uh, the church is actually being sought out by atheists. Because, well, you have to understand that the Orthodox Church has a different function than the Protestant or Catholic churches. The Orthodox Church is more part of uh, social life. It's not only a, a religious institution, it's part of the social context. Generally speaking, that's why you can see Tsiprias, who's a communist, uh, go to church and light a candle. You wouldn't see that um, by a communist like um, Gysi here in, in Germany, that they go to church and light a candle. But you shouldn't forget that they still, that this anti-clerical, any church um, policy of some parties has nothing to do with day-to-day -day life of those politicians and the families. That is different again. That is more traditional. But that so many people should seek out the priests for support, for comfort, for advice, particularly advice in these uh, difficult situations. <coughs> that is unique in his career, and um, he's not a young person anymore. He never saw this. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for your time and the uh, frank and open words that we've heard and he found, although um, he probably doesn't have the background as a medical person does, but it's no risk. Uh, it's still a risk for him. Please tell him that we hope that his efforts, especially with respect to the church, maybe even enforced because people need something to hold on to and this may be the grab handle to uh, support people. Και εγώ και εγώ σας ευχαριστώ πολύ για την ευκαιρία την οποία μας δώσετε. Πρέπει να ξέρετε ότι η ονοψηφία των κληρικών δεν υποκύπτει και επιτρέψτε μου 15 δευτερόλεπτα. Το ένα, λέει ο Χριστός και σε άλλη φάση μπορούμε να τα συζητήσουμε. Γνώσεστε την αλήθεια και η αλήθεια ελευθερώσει μας. Αυτό ακριβώς κάνουμε και εμείς. Και τελειώνοντας, ίσως το γνωρίζετε, αλλά θα αναφερθώ σε μια ρίση του, του Οδυσσέα Ελίτη, ο οποίος λέει, βλέπω τη βία να έρχεται μεταμφιεσμένη. Αυτό το 1975, mm. κάτω από άνομες συμμαχίες. Of course, thanks you for the invitation.
to uh, he wants to close with the sentence truth will free you and there is more to truth than the op the enemy has to do and to bright <coughs> And you see the part, the force, violence. He sees. He sees uh, in the uh, the Nobel Prize winner of the seventies says violence. In other, he wants to see violence transformed into, oh, hidden, camouflaged. Uh, apparently, there's uh, still a discussion going on what the Greek uh, is supposed to mean in German. When it's figured out, we will come over with a translation of it. So it is the total subjection to the belief in science. So thank you very much. It was a great pleasure for me to um, be able to participate in this uh, committee meeting. Thank you for participating. These were very, very elaborate. And for all of us, also as far as the criminal uh, background, the criminal uh, law background is concerned, very, very enlightening details. Hopefully details. not infectious. No, on the contrary, on the contrary. Thank you very much. And we'd like to uh, beg the family Goodman's pardon uh, to keep them waiting for so long. If there's anything, give us a call. Okay, it's this is madness. It's uh, scary. Yeah, well, Pamela and Jeff for being so rude. I think we kept you waiting for about an hour. This is the worst it's ever gotten here, but um, still, um, are you still with us? Yes, we are. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I apologize. Um, so how have you been over the last couple of months or so? Uh, hanging in there. Hanging in there. The, the entire family is hanging in there. Is there is there any support you're getting? Oh, yes. Yes, there is. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is from from friends. A, yeah, mm -hmm. some friends, but it's uh, everything's upside down. You know, mm -hmm. people are losing their jobs and it's pretty bad here in New York. It um, I don't know if you've listened to what um, what the Greek and the Swedes have told us. Um, it, they're painting a very bleak picture of what's going on in their respective countries. But on the other hand, um, the uh, cleric who we just and and also a psychiatrist who we just uh, interviewed told us that um, 
if I don't misunderstand him, that people are beginning to wake up. More and more are seeking help, psychiatric and uh, spiritual help from uh, him in particular and from his, his uh, profession. Uh, and also, it becomes very obvious to most people there uh, that this is nothing to do with health. So they can see uh, better and better that there is an underlying issue, a, a totally, a, a completely different agenda from what the mainstream media are telling them. In particular, because as he also pointed out, because all of these very, very serious side effects cannot be swept under the rug anymore. Now, one of the worst side effects is, of course, if a loved one uh, passes away, dies because of the vaccinations. And that is what happened in the case of your son, because causation, as we now know, has been proven, uh, or has it? Yes, it has. Mm. Well, I believe it has, yes. Yeah. Um, do you have uh, help from attorneys? Uh, because this is this seems to be a, a, a very, it's a cut and dry case here, because that's what the death certificate says, and that's also what the autopsy, autopsy report says, uh, that this is due to the vaccine. Um, is is there uh, are you getting the the help that you need or do you, are you still waiting for the right attorneys uh we're waiting for the right attorneys we um received correspondence mm -hmm. um from you and we would like to pursue um we don't know which avenue uh cicp or um mbic but mm -hmm. because this is a COVID 19 um, shot, it would fall under the CICP, but no one has reached out to us yet. Um, I'm sure either George Wentz or Leslie Manukian will be in touch with you uh, very shortly. I know they're all under extreme pressure because there's not that many attorneys out there who uh, are taking the, taking on these corona cases uh, and i know they're working on a couple of really big ones because they're class actions to be filed in the state of california on behalf of the firefighters the police officers etc many municipal workers are uh, are saying this is it we've had it uh, you've crossed too many red lines there uh, we're not going to get vaccinated and you of course or your your family is a case in point um, because your son died 12 hours after getting the shots and uh, I assume that initially uh there was some pushback or or was there are were people the 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 doctors in particular were they helpful or were they trying to uh talk this down they were trying to talk it down <laughs> and uh they were uh the autopsy was done a day after he died on march 15th Mm -hmm. And we waited almost six months for the death certificate. Every time uh, we would call, the phone number would either be changed or they'd say, we need four more weeks. Uh, we're not ready. It's pending. Um, there was just one pushback after another. Also, wow. no, one no one believed us. I mean, Jeff and I went public on social media two days after Ben died and exactly what happened. And we were either gaslit, ignored, or 
uh, literally like it didn't happen. Like, I think that affected a lot of people. It kind of opened people's eyes. It did. It did. And people are waking up, Reiner, um, very much so. Uh, but they're not being vocal enough. People are not coming forward. And I, I mean, now, yes, they are in these class action lawsuits. I understand you know, what you're speaking about. Mm. And those are very, very important. However, uh, we're not seeing people come forward that have actually have autopsies with the causation being directly, you know, of the shot being directly attributed to the death. Mm -hmm. um, and those are pretty black and white uh, cases that I think could be used to help class action causes, obviously. But um, unfortunately, I think that we're probably going to not be the ones that they are coming to right now because, or to help. Mm -hmm. It's just my feeling uh, because no one has reached out. But as you said, I hope that will change. But there are these class action lawsuits, mm -hmm. but those, as you know, can take forever. So we don't know. Yeah, much of this is not it's not just the lawsuits that are um, that many uh, our friend and colleague Tom Renz, for example, he's filed for America's frontline doctors. Uh, he's filed a number of lawsuits and he's going to file many more. So are George Wentz and others. Uh, it is not necessarily the lawsuit uh, in and of itself, but it is the. It is the information that is being uh, brought out into the open through the um, through what's what's written in the complaints, and people read this information, and it's an un, another um, it's another avenue of exposing what's really going on because the mainstream media obviously are not doing this. Um, I would. Um, I would like to ask, I'm getting some information here, but I would like to ask Wolfgang what he thinks of the um, of the uh, death certificate and the autopsy report. Is that okay? Yes. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Wolfgang, can you give us a statement or is it is it to have you not had a chance to uh, read this? Oh, I think Wolfgang just just left. I think he had. I just get the information that he's not. Um, yeah, that he had to leave. Unfortunately, we didn't even. All right. So we're going to say have to talk about the the death certificate and the uh, autopsy report with those who are finally going to handle this case. Uh, that means the attorneys uh, who we still haven't been able to identify. But I do think it's a it's a pretty. It's a pretty clear case that we're dealing with, even though I must say, even in the um, death certificate and the autopsy report, of course, they mention the prior uh, heart operation that uh, Benjamin had. So that is probably going to be there. Um, the other side's avenue of escape that they're trying to take by by trying to make it look as though it was the uh, I think there was a heart valve that needed to be replaced. Is that not so? It was repaired. Oh, yeah, um, it was repaired. Okay. And I think there was there was there was a, there was a, a hole near the valve mm -hmm. that they patched. Yeah. And but that was but five years that ago. Was, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that was a, a few years ago, and, and they deemed it successful. Yeah. I mean, so, we can see over here, you know, we had a um, pathologist look at um, at a, a number of, I think it was like 40 or something, a number, Professor yeah. Schumacher looked at, um, you know, uh, 40 people who died shortly after receiving the vaccine. And he said, I think it was like 30 to 40 percent that there was, uh, in his view, was like a clear, um, you know, like a causal um, connection. connection to that. And we have um, also information that are going to be revealed shortly, uh, or not us personally, but like, um, you know, like pathologists that we are in close contact with, um, where we can see also, um, uh, you know, connections. And uh, in addition, there's, um, you know, signs that there might be like a, uh, like a super duper fast growing cancer uh, connected to the vaccination. And that's also going to be, re, re, um, you know, like there's going to be like um, information about about that uh, coming up uh, kind of shortly. So we see that there's a lot of things going on. And I think that the maybe causal links that at this point in time cannot be 100 percent proven. Um, I think it's going to be pretty, pretty soon. It should be uh, we should be able to to have all the, the links in, in connection because it's um, we see so many. Um, also from the, you know, what the um, mRNA does in the um, in the body, because it's like uh, this sort of like a high speed aspect of it was added to the RNA. And so the body is maybe not um, able to interpret the, this protein, what's presented to him like in the right way. And that's maybe going to be one of the aspects that might cause the cancer or like lead to immune um, you know, system problems. So there's a lot of stuff going on at worldwide. There's so many groups working on these um, side effects now that I think the, the picture is going to become clearer every day now. I think if you look at the totality of the evidence, if you look at uh, your son's case um, and all of the other cases that um, have have been reported to us and and to uh, many other people as well because we're not the only source of information there are others out there like uh, dr uh, roger hutkinson uh, dr ryan cole of idaho and from idaho and uh, uh charles hoffy dr charles hoffy from canada if you look at the totality of the evidence the conclusion in my mind at least is inescapable that these vaccines are doing very serious damage. Uh, I just mentioned in a conversation with the Swedes a couple of hours ago that new information has just come in from Mongolia. And in Mongolia, they had no COVID cases, no symptomatic COVID cases, none whatsoever. Only after the vaccination started, they're having very, very serious side effects, including deaths. So you have a causal link right there. In your case, I'm only hoping that this will not drag on for too long, but rather that the two people I just mentioned, who I absolutely trust, will be in touch with you very shortly so that um, justice will be done. Thank you. Uh, I do want to say that, I'm sorry, can you hear me, Sal? Yes, yes no, we, we can hear you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, is that so many people that um, there's just millions of people that may have had, say, Crohn's disease and they're in remission for five, six years. Somebody who had any type of underlying medical thyroid 
you name it, from A to Z um, medical problem, that they're totally healthy. You know, they had a problem a few years ago, but they reversed it, turned around, turned it around, in excellent health, and they go and get one of these shots, and they have severe side effects, or in, in Benjamin's case, dies. Yeah. And um, so uh, the connection I'm making here is that people that, that have, have a few people that have said to me, well, Benjamin had um, a heart surgery um, in the past, so that's what killed him. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> that's the type of feedback that uh, we're getting that, oh, well, you know, he could have just died because of anything. And I'm like, no, um, just like and someone who may have had an organ transplant successful and they're on these drugs and, and they're doing fine. And then they get a shot and all of a sudden their organ fails. What are they going to say? The organ and the transplant that was successful and all the medicines failed or did the vaccine or shot cause that to fail? Are you following me? So that's absolutely yes. Even even with a death certificate in black and white that shows the cause of death was the John, you know, the COVID vaccine, in this case the Johnson shot, one shot. Um, you see it in black and white on a death certificate, and people still say, Well, uh, it could have been something else. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the point is that they're in complete denial because I'm sure a lot of the people that you might be talking to have been vaccinated themselves. So it causes yes. them a tremendous amount of fear. You know, obviously they didn't die as quickly, um, you know, as your son, but obviously they must think, wow, if this is something that's able to kill one person that quickly, could be that it has side effects we don't know really. And then, you know, at least on, a, on an emotional level, they they get very worried and it's hard to then face up to the truth and and see that uh, you know there might be risks that they have not considered and they might have like be on a kind of guilt trip as well you know feel sorry for themselves or like it's just very awkward feelings and you would need to live with a lot of anxiety you know i mean if you have an uh, a lot of people are like hypochondric, you know, so yeah. people, there's a lot of people out there who are constantly worried that they might have something. And now, you know, if you have a shot with something that's where you don't know what it's going to do to you in the end, I mean, how un awkward is that situation? Yeah, some people just can't wrap their brains around it and mm -hmm. it scares the heck out of them. Yeah. Um, other people, we've actually shown them the death certificate and they're like, wow, okay. Yeah. Well, it clearly states here, it clearly states here, febrile reaction following COVID-19 vaccination. Now, it doesn't, in my view, as far as causation is concerned, it cannot make a difference if your son had had an operation a few years ago because this operation was successful. He didn't suffer any problems whatsoever. This is like the 
um, explosion of cancers that Viviana has just referred to. It is. It means people who have had cancer, but whose cancer was completely under control, in many, many, many cases, have now explosions of this cancer after vaccination. This is still causation, of course. There, there cannot yeah, be any yeah. doubt about this. But there will be, uh, there will be lots of fights in the courts of law until finally. And this is not in the very distant future. This is going to happen very soon, I think, until finally people will have to realize that whatever happened before the shots, if after the shots someone is suffering serious side effects, of course that is caused, caused by the shots, in particular when you're talking about a healthy young man who was fit and uh, 32 years old with no problems whatsoever. There's an inescapable, I think this is a prima facie conclusion, which the other side, I think there should be a, um, uh, as far as the burden of proof is concerned, there should be a reversal of the burden of proof in, in cases as this one. In particular, if you take into account that there was no valid information, his consent wasn't validly given because he wasn't informed about the fact that this is a shot with a with an experimental drug. So under the circumstances of the of your son's case, just like um, under the circumstances of most other cases where you have um, adverse reactions, uh, including death, there should be a reversal of the burden of proof. I think this is what we're going to what, what we're going to have to. Uh, argue in the courts of law, and I think this is going to be successful simply because of the sheer uh, number of adverse side effects after vaccination. Yeah, it's just it's just mind blowing that you can't that it's going to get to a point. I I feel in my heart that um, that they're not going to be able to cover this up and hide this yeah. anymore. Yeah, they cannot sweep it uh, under the rug. Even they now they can't. Can. Yeah. So many people are getting sick yeah. and and dying and just hundreds of thousands. It's insane. And how they can keep up this, this trade yeah. is you know, not even not even one local me news outlet has tried to reach out to us. That's very um, strange. It's, very suspicious. it's just so bizarre. That's like anybody who speaks up is blocked and, and censored and it's it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, but you know what? It's probably particularly bad in New York and uh, also in, in California, of course. In other states, it's a little bit different. Uh, and this is this is impossible to sweep under the rug. This is the worst mistake they had ma they have made. I think we believe that they had an they were pushed into a into an early start. And that's why they're making these mistakes because they could they were unavoidable. I, this shouldn't have happened before uh, the fall, the winter, and spring because they what they really wanted is they wanted us to believe that in the fall, winter, and spring the umpteenth wave of something, the the uh, trillionth uh, uh, a variant was uh, now making things even worse, and we need more vaccines. But this is happening way before uh, these so-called waves are coming. So it's almost it's almost an inescapable conclusion that it's the vaccines and not a virus, which, as many people say, hasn't even been isolated yet. Exactly. I mean, we, we came out public on social media, I mean, everywhere, 
two days after he died in March to warn people. Mm-hmm. And that's, interestingly enough, that's when people were going crazy in March and April to get these shots after we were just posting it everywhere. Be careful. Stop. This killed our son. It's, uh, you know, they just don't get it. But also we're now coming into flu season and people are going out and getting these boosters without even well but there wasn't any flu last year no there was no flu was obviously <laughs> there wasn't flu, any flu. flu just disappeared um yeah. along with our, you know a gazillion other diseases mm-hmm. however i personally my intuition says we're coming up into a, a very very serious dangerous medical situation in the next year and that is you're in complete uh, you're completely in line with what all the experts have told us all the uh, aforementioned doctors uh including by the way dr vodak everyone says it's the shots that has uh badly damaged the immune systems of uh <coughs> most of the people who got these shots some were lucky because they probably only got saline shots because that's another side effect of all of this uh um of this early start because the other side is beginning to panic because of all these all the side effects so some of the batches probably only included saline um uh water um so as to not make matters worse and um and and scare up more people but even now i agree with you even now the side effects are so horrendous that they cannot be swept under the rug anymore and this denial that many people are in will very soon come fall winter and spring will very soon uh, turn into horror when they realize what they've done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to do my best to, uh, uh, I I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to call the two people who I put you in touch with, who I connected you with. And uh, then I'm very certain that in no time, sometime beginning of next week i know they're under a lot of pressure because they're working really hard but i'm very sure, certain absolutely. but they're going to call you absolutely and if not we're going to be in touch and we'll find another way thank you reiner thank you okay well thank you very much for uh talking to us again and thank you very much because i think this is going to once again make a lot of people think twice about getting the shots or not and i think with your help we're um we're uh, helping people not to get the shots and we're saving lives in effect. Well, we want to thank you for all all your hard work and God bless you. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. And despite all of this, uh, try and have a good weekend, go out into nature and do what life is all about. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. So, anstrengend. Das ist der Wahnsinn. Das ist der Wahnsinn. Das ist der Wahnsinn. Das ist der Wahnsinn. Ich denke, es stresses mich massiv, die Information, die kommt aus den Richtungen, die wir nicht even thought of, whatever Disease may turn out. Es ist, ja, aber es ist nicht gut. Wir müssen weitergehen, weil wir es nicht helfen können. Es gibt keine andere Weg, aber es ist schwer zu bearen, es ist wahr. Still, I believe, um, including in Sweden and Greece, that people are 
realizing faster and faster what's happening, even if in Sweden only 10% of people who understand what's right. There are calculations that 3.5% are enough, but 10% is definitely enough. If they get a little bit of a push from other countries where things go faster, I made a, a, a published a newsletter just recently. There have been some very good decisions from India, of all places. The Indian decisions, six, seven, eight decisions that all uh, ban direct or indirect um, mandatory vaccinations because the violation of freedom rights and uh, there are massive side effects that need to be looked into and it's not being done. So all of this dirt and being flushed out, uh, it's scary to look at it all, but we can't help it to look at the situation uh, in more detail. Only if we can see exactly what's happening can we take appropriate action. A uh, small correction, correction to what before. Um, Nils Wiener wrote a, le uh, a note saying it was 63,000 people who participated in the survey and 53,000 of these parents said that they did not want their parents to be subjected to that uh, vaccination offer and it was okay for 10,000 they wanted it so the percentage was a little different but you see we're not looking at the 10% here that uh, see this is critical but the massive majority here um, I think you can talk about nearly everyone are of the opinion that this is out of the way to finish off with we have a small trailer for a new film which will be out soon some people ask what we do when we're not on the committee's meetings and um, you can see some of that in the film it's a bit uh, behind the scenes it's a bit activities of many other people who are engaged we want to uh, show that clip now it's not fully financed and it'd be great if people could support over media with a donation for that and also we need donation to be able to carry on the work that we're doing here so i hope it is ready apart from that we wish everyone a good weekend despite of all what we've heard um i don't know if we're still online but uh, you can download the film on the um on our website and look at the trailer i hope it'll be back online soon and well so okay have a nice evening and enjoy your weekend see you next week and go to vote this is for the german audience very very important uh, you see that even 2G, whatever they try to bar people and um, whatever they may come up with, I think uh, uh, voting by letter may be prone to manipulation. So please do go uh, and uh, make sure that your vote is cast the way you want it. Um, um, Ber in Berlin, the Basis, the Basic Democratic Party, is not on the list. So don't elect the ones who brought us here, but the ones who want to take us out, and that is us. It's the Basis. Thank you, and have a nice weekend.